0: I always encourage people, the first thing I tell anybody is like, if you are not having fun, you are not doing this right. I don't care what it is you're doing in this game, find the place where you're having the most fun.
1: to Flippin' Orbs episode number 8. My name is as always Gordon Anderson and today we will talk about two different topics. The first main topic of the episode is how to build an old school community or how to grow one if you're just a few people in your city that wants to play with old cardboard while others still play standard, modern and other formats. The second topic is a deck tech about the amazing combo deck Eureka. So if you like to play big creatures and smash face, this is absolutely an episode for you. To help us with this, we have a very special guest, and that is the leader of the MTG Underground, Shaman Ben. He's known as the Librarian of Leng, and he is an old school player and community builder with a love for fun decks, and strange decks that is, and as well as the color green. He also writes the most amazing blog posts there is about the format and those you can find on his blog MTG Underground. And if you would stumble upon Shaman Ben playing Legacy, he will surely play the people's Canon Goblin sharbelcher. So without further ado, here is Flippin' Orbs Episode Eight, Eureka. Hi, welcome Grant and welcome Seb. How are you guys doing? Doing good, I- how about you? yeah I'm fine
2: I'm fine as well thank you for asking
1: (laughs) so so it's not as intoxicated as last time me neither but at least I have a beer in my hand
2: I will open a beer after my coffee has been taken in
1: Uh, that's because we are uh, for us it's four o'clock in the afternoon Uh, it's not the same for you grant it's in the morning isn't it yeah So you're you're not drunk It's 9
3: o'clock. It's not too late, actually. I mean, or it's not too early. 9 a.m. isn't isn't too bad. This is is good. I didn't get to bed till late, but what are you going to do? It's good to
2: have something to do in the morning. So you have to get
3: up. I have to get up. makes me get up and put pants on and become an adult.
1: Oh, damn (laughs) damn those things. (laughs) Uh, But guys, how about uh, we do the question of the episode right away, and I have an sure. amazing question for you guys today. And Grant, we'll, we'll start with you. What is your favorite legend from Legends?
3: Well, after looking through the list right now, because um, I don't really remember what his name was, um, it was Axelrod Gunnerson. And it's probably just because of the name, I don't know how good he is uh but he's. yeah that's a cool name two red, two black, four colorless for a five five, so super value, um trample whenever a creature dealt damage by Axelrod gunnerson, this turn dies uh, you gain a life and you can ping a player so uh, um, that is yeah that is I think one I just cool like dude. it yeah, mostly for the name, and that's pretty much it. I wish. Alibara's carpet would be legendary because it should be because it's a flying carpet, but it's not. So I can't pick that one.
1: <laughs> well, it's quite a cool magic card, though. Alabara's yeah, carpet. Think... Uh, for those who don't I know. I think what... the names
2: of the legends, the legendary names, they like, like, were the best in <laughs> that aspect of oh, the, ab- that set.
1: Absolutely. Do you guys know how they came up with the names? Hmm. I'm, I'm thinking
2: you will tell us.
1: Yeah, I will. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm always uh, needing to tell you guys about things like this. It, it's actually the names of Dungeons & Dragons characters uh, from the play's, playtest group that created Legends. Okay, so, so
2: they're characters. They're
1: characters know. from uh, their Dungeons & Dragons campaigns. Mm-hmm.
4: Um,
1: at least most of them are. So Gunnarsson is... One of the characters, and yeah, they just took those and made legends.
2: I think my favorite legend, but that's not legend from Legends. That's Norrin, but he's not even in old school Magic because he's he's the yeah. But he's so weird. Yeah, he's being mentioned.
3: Who's your favorite legend?
2: Is it is it mentioned in uh, Um, in
3: the old school catalog?
2: I think
1: it's Ice Age. uh, I think it's mentioned the first time. So it's pretty old school.
2: But but he's like his walk in every time he appears, he's just walking around being scared basically. Yes. But my favorite legend is probably uh, because I think it, it he's playable as well. It's uh, Solkanor, the Swamp King.
3: Yeah, he's he uh, cool,
2: and he, he costs five. He's in the Grixis colors: the black, blue, and um, red, and two gen- generic mana. And he has swamp walk, and uh, well, you, you could gain some life from it. Yeah, and he has all these cool like I don't know. Yeah, they they invented the names as you said when they played uh, Dungeons and Dragons. But like he, he has this apostrophe after the Sol, so I, don't yeah. know, I I guess he's like Sol kanar the Swamp King or something.
1: Yeah, I would think uh, that's how you pronounce it, Sol
2: Sol-Kanar. An awesome art as well.
3: Yeah, Richard Garfield. All, leg- all the legends have some of the best art. Like Ragnar, his art is oh, amazing.
1: Yeah, Riven Turnbull is uh, one of my favorite arts as well, and Lady Orca.
2: I, d- I don't oh, know yeah. how long um, Richard Garfield like gave the artists the this freedom, but he said like he he gave them as little as possible uh insight on what the card was doing and whatever so the artists got to like they had to use their own imagination as much so he said that there were a lot of really good highs but a lot of (laughs) lows as well in the art yeah and i think that's what's true for the. you remember some cards so much just because they're like it's a whole story by themselves
1: yeah like all the richard kane ferguson art is amazing Yeah, And and then another favorite, like Julie Barrow, um, who made Mind Twist, uh, for example. Mind Twist is an amazing art. But then you look at Tetsuo Umesawa and just, what the, no, please, (laughs) no. Or Gwendolyn de Corsi is also Julie Barrow. And it's it's a cool idea, but it's horribly, the art is like technically horrible, I would say. Um, Agreed. Should, should we get
2: on to your favorite legend as yeah. well? Yeah.
1: Um, well, um, I've, I've had, a, as usual, a really tough time choosing. Even I come up with a question, but I can't choose an answer. <laughs> uh, but I actually think it's Angus McKenzie. Uh, there's just so much going on with that car. It's a white, blue, and green for a 2-2. And first of all, his name is Angus. And Mackenzie, it's yeah. like the, the the name. The art uh, is also amazing. Um, he he looks a little bit like Tim, uh, like the real Tim from um, uh, from the Mon- Monty Python film. Yeah, not, exactly. Not Tim, Prodigal Sorcerer. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Even though that inspiration. Yeah, that's
2: the that's the exact thing I'm thinking about as well. Yeah, like horns this, on the, the head book. and a staff. Yeah. And just
1: oh, <laughs> look at me! I'm Angus Mackenzie it can't uh, be
2: a coincidence
1: <laughs> it can't be and his uh, his ability is fog like three mana and tap fog and uh. i do like prison decks so yep he's my favorite hmm. and uh, uh, now when we three have um chosen our favorite legends from legends i think we should welcome our guest and ask him what his favorite legend from legend is so ben do you want to say which your legend favorite legend 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 favorite legend is yeah a lot of legends here
0: yeah (laughs) hands down no contest lady orca and it's it's the simplest most fantastic thing i'd never seen any cards from legends i knew nothing about the set we started right before it came out it was too pricey to buy i was on a school bus going to school and a kid sitting in front of me had some cards And he's got them half fanned out, and I saw the artwork on Lady Orca, and I could only imagine what what that card did. My brain went a million miles a minute trying to figure out how cool that card must be. And for days on end, I thought about that card, and I had so many ideas about what that card could be. And then when I finally saw it, it's just like a slightly worse Crawl worm. <laughs> it's, it's a vanilla 7 4. Yeah, <laughs>
2: but, but Angus is mentioned in the flavor text.
1: Yeah. Oh. Angus
2: was gone. It's the last sentence. It's like, I don't know what's going on exactly, but. Uh,
1: yeah, her I, whole card is flavor text. I do not remember what he said to her. I remember her fiery eyes fixed upon him for an instant. I remember a flash. And then the hot breath of sudden flames made me turn away. When I looked again, Angus was gone. A Wayfarer on meeting Lady Orca. So I think Lady Orca burnt Angus to the ground. Yeah. Uh, I love it. And she doesn't even have fire breathing. (laughs)
2: <laughs> he didn't get to prevent
1: uh, that damage. No. Sure. no, it wasn't combat damage. <laughs> it was it, a fireball.
2: Yeah. Okay.
0: Okay. But then in ben, flavor you'll... text, in flavor text, Lady Orc has demonstrated that she's powerful. But then when you summon her, she's like, "Well, I'm not going to work for you. Like, I'm oh, just going to sit here and not do anything." <laughs> so. That's how
1: it is. Like, she is really powerful, but she just, "Hey, screw you." I'm too powerful right. for you. For you, I'll just be vanilla.
0: Exactly. But
1: uh, then you got a little bit happy when I mentioned uh, she is one of my favorite arts from Legends then.
0: I, I did. I did. because <laughs> said has stuck with me for 23 years. <laughs> yeah,
1: Sandra Everingham, who did that art. Uh, and she has done a lot of really nice art as well. We're probably going to do an art episode, I think. Uh, hard to do an art episode on a podcast but we'll try you see this picture there's a woman a little bit to the side and it's blue and red and no. uh, but
2: we, we if we just talk about cards everyone knew so it won't matter
1: yeah absolutely but as we've uh, started to talk to you Ben uh, maybe it's time to yeah talk a little bit about you instead of just us host rambling on. Um, In the beginning here I introduced you as a community builder, player and also as an amazing writer of amazing blog posts and that you have a love for the color green. Uh, Does that seem right to you or do you have anything to add or say that was wrong?
0: Well, I would definitely. Uh, I, I, li- I like all of those things for sure. I'm, um, you know, community builder first. I think the first and foremost thing I do with this game is trying to promote a very productive local community that I want to be a part of. Um, you know, the game is great. You'll play the game with people you can't stand. So it just gets better when you play with people that you like. So if you can get all of those kind of people together, like minded ideas, doing this stuff, the the potential of the game is so much greater, and then what it gives back to you is so much better. So I've just devoted a lot of my energy to doing that. We started playing old school when I was, you know, just getting back from California some years ago, and it was just me and my brother, and some people saw us playing, and I started kind of promoting it almost by accident. But I decided one year I wanted to play vintage again. So I started building a local vintage community and just a little bit at a time and just sharing the enthusiasm and finding the people that it was a good fit for. We've got a thriving local vintage scene. We've got a a very significant number of players with old school decks in the area. Unlike some areas, we, we don't really organize tournaments here. But I would say most of us are probably playing 80% of our magic is old school. We're throwing down games in between rounds at tournaments. Whenever we meet up for dinner, just sometimes hanging out on a Saturday afternoon. How do you
2: how do you keep in contact? Like, do you just have dates set, or do you have like Facebook groups, or do you use your blog?
0: It's a mix of all of those things. It's a, just a lot of us have networked so well that it's. You know, a lot of times it's pop-up. It's like, hey, I I have the afternoon free. Does anyone want to play? And I might only get two or three guys together, but we can still play for eight hours with four guys just jamming old-school decks and drinking and, and having a great time. And it's it's magic the way it felt in the beginning when everything was exciting. We're right back there.
2: Yeah, and, uh... I think so as well. That's what you, you get a glimpse of, like... Okay, I didn't drink beer when I was like <laughs> I was right, 12, right. thirty years old, 13 years old. But the community feeling—like you don't really, you don't really meet people in that way uh, right. in other
0: circles. Yeah, when we were when we were fourteen, and we were playing Magic. It was after school, it was like we were excited to get together and just jam games. It wasn't about prepping for a tournament. It wasn't about driving to Ohio or wherever. I'm going for whatever I'm doing. It was just about, I'm going to get to play games with my magic cards. Mm. And the excitement of that transcended anything that I've ever felt about going to a tournament all these years later. You know, all the time that I spent playing competitive magic, every time I ever even thought about cards, nothing ever really compared to like the initial excitement of you know, the days when I saw Lady Orca from a distance or (laughs) when, you know, when I, when I figured out that I needed to put enough black men on my deck to actually cast my demonic hordes. you know, all of those early days stuff, it was, you know, getting to the point where we sat down at the table with the cards was the goal. The goal was actually just to be able to shuffle them up and play against another player. That's what was exciting. How do you Somewhere. get into
2: that mindset? Like, because I, uh, and I, I I think I can talk for, speak for Gordon as well. We are a bit competitive, <laughs> but we try to, we, we, we do not play like the deck every time or anything. But sure, sure. Every Actually, time I sit said, down and play. I've never
1: played the deck. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah.
2: But uh, every time I sit down and play, I like each like game, I'm trying to win as much as
4: possible.
0: Sure, sure. But like. Winning the game is is definitely something I like to do. You know, I get get that. And I like to give people a hard time about the deck, but the deck is a piece of art. And it's something that, you know, it catches a lot of flack for being too good, but there's a reason people are drawn to it and there's a reason people want to play it. And in the old school community, for the most part, people that are really playing old school because they love old school, Even those players, their draw to the deck isn't because they're trying to spike a tournament or they need the thing that can beat everything else. It's not all about a metagame or anything like this. It's about the love of that style of play, which is completely the opposite of how I like to play. I want to do big, flashy, ridiculous things and then Mm -hmm. just kind of hope they work out. If they work out, it's great. If they don't work out, I still did the thing that everybody's going to remember, even if I didn't necessarily win. That's how I've always wanted to play Magic. And, but,
2: but you you mentioned like you started out with looking at the card, Lady orcas. <laughs> but you you did you like stop playing Magic and picked it up again like in a couple of years or how how did it all went about
0: yeah. and Magic? So so we played up until around the time Mirage was released, and by then, uh, you know, a lot of my friends were a little older, you know, getting out of school, getting into other things, you know, going to concerts all the time. um, You know, drugs, girls, all the things that just kind of naturally happen, eventually jobs. It just kind of fell away. And then right around the time Nemesis came out somewhere in the middle of Mercadian block. I moved out west and I was living out there and I had a younger brother who was playing and he's like, oh, he took me to a Friday Night Magic. So I went to the local shop and I built a deck out of the new cards and I played in a Friday Night Magic and I didn't win a game. I didn't cast a spell. I just got trounced by everything, because I didn't <laughs> have a concept of of the fact that, oh, now the deck is good, and now you have to actually know what you're doing. So I play against <laughs> a blue deck with 32 counterspells, or I play against, you know, elves that's killing me with Might of Oaks on turn four, and I was, I, you know, I'm sitting there just trying to cast Belby's Portal, and oh. uh, it was not working out real well, so... The shop owner was, was considerate. He bought all the, the junk back that I had just bought from him, and he helped uh-huh. me out. But I that's built a really up- nice. Deck. Yeah, yeah, it was a great guy. Commu- again, community definitely helped pull me right back in. Because How old were, were you then? I was about 20 years old. My daughter had was about a year old, so I was you know, just looking for some hobbies that involved yeah. not ending up in jail. And, <laughs> uh... <laughs> and, um, uh that's a good thing to set out for,
4: yeah, right. Right. I think
2: right. that's the reason this that's the reason why they have it on Fridays, like for the youth to yeah actually uh, yeah. I, I, really. I'm
1: pretty sure that is the yeah. reason like instead yeah. of uh, ending up in town and doing bad things, just come here and play <laughs> magic. I think yeah, it's a yeah, great it, great idea.
0: it definitely worked, you know, so. Yeah, I got back in. I played a, a deck with the Yawgmoth's Bargain, and I was like, oh. okay, I, I think I know how I want to play Magic for the rest of my business. <laughs> so you were up in uh, a couple of yeah. uh, months the first, ago. The combo deck, I was like, all right, I'm back in. And uh, and I stayed in for a long time. We eventually gravitated towards Vintage. It always kind of rolls back towards the old cards for me. And uh, and I played Vintage for a long time. And uh, I eventually, when I was full-time single parent, I sold out. I got away from the game and you know, just busy with life and I stayed away yeah. for uh till right around the Time Lorwin came out and uh I found myself with a lot more free time. My daughter was back living with her mother and I was I needed to again stay out of jail. So there <laughs> I go to a hobby shop tonight instead of going to somewhere somewhere terrible. And uh you know, I drafted Lorwin for the first time and it was real eye-opening i still am not much of a fan of planeswalkers but i understand at least how they work you know? and yeah, uh that surprised know, was...
3: me too like <laughs> yeah. drafting that set and i'm like what the hell is this
0: yeah yeah i uh I, I just stopped by the shop one night about one in the morning and uh brian Demars pulled me in and he's like oh everything's the same you'll love it just come draft with us so yeah i'm sitting there drafting and the first pack I open has garrick Wildspeaker.
1: i'm reading <laughs> everything's part, the I'm same like,
0: I have no idea how this card works. I can figure out that it's probably really good. Like it seems like it does very powerful things, but I don't understand the base mechanic of this card. So it was a bit of a learning curve in a, in a, in a draft, but it all worked out all for the better because it didn't take too many. uh, It didn't take too long before, you know, I was buying right back in and, shortly thereafter i was you know within a year or two i was living out in los angeles and there are, uh there are legacy fiends out there everything was legacy and i'd never played legacy but i had a vintage collection so wasn't too hard to sort of adapt and and overcome and how long ago
2: was this the-
0: this was uh 2010 so <laughs> right around uh you're still able to play mystical tutor so I was blown away by that i was like wait i can play four mystical tutor and play this reanimator deck and <laughs> that was just re- what i was going <laughs> to say so you <laughs> played
1: reanimator then or <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely i didn't lose a game i i stomped through my very first uh my very first legacy tournament with uh with no difficulty won some underground seas was real excited and, and then nice. of course they immediately banned mystical tutor i was like yeah i get <laughs> that <laughs> so uh so then they, the Survival of the Fittest Era happened, and I was like, oh, the Storm deck's really good now. I get to still just play combo. So it's just been one rolling combo after another all through my Legacy career. And eventually I got to the point where none of the decks I liked were still legal or good. So I was like, well, when in doubt, you always default back to Charbelcher. When nothing else is appealing, I just play Charbelcher. <laughs> <laughs> so... I did that and one of the star city opens in los angeles we all got together and went down and played i was inebriated when we Got there i was i'm amazed that i made it through the event let alone top aided but i was like all right now i get it
2: is it <laughs> true that some short belcher, short belcher players plays with like foil russian stomping grounds instead of tigers
0: there there is a definite market of belcher players who do this this is a uh this is an aggressive gesture from, from Bell. It's like it's just a, a way of putting a middle finger in your deck. You know, it's, uh, I love it's it. something It's something which uh, I, I resisted for a while. I had this, uh, I, I think when I top aided my third or fourth Star City Open, I decided to buy an Alpha Taiga. I was like, I'm gonna buy this Alpha Taiga. I'm gonna rescue it. It'll never have to cast a Curt Ape again. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be subjected to these terrible things. It'll be fantastic. We'll go on adventures. I had a little webcomic for a while with uh, one of my stoner friends and we had a good time with it, wrote a lot of stuff about the Taiga, you know, and just, just screwing around, which slowly helped me transition into blogging. But, you know, I thought about it and it's like, well, this Taiga is worth more than the entire rest of this 75 card pile. Like, so this is pretty awesome. But eventually (laughs) I moved away from legacy and I don't really play it anymore. And recently because my Taiga is in my, my Eureka deck, I thought, well, I need to get another Taiga for this Belcher deck, so I don't have to keep moving it around. It's like, but instead of that, I could just get a stomping ground because I don't have a lot of respect for Legacy. <laughs> if you a guy with a stomping ground in your deck, yeah. definitely feels worse. So, uh, so I've picked up uh, the entire deck. The whole seventy-five card pile is German. So I went ahead and picked up a German stomping ground. And oh, you uh, finally, you finally picked one up. And I've become one of those guys, so now I've I don't I don't do the foil thing. Foils are something that have always been kind of lost on me. Yeah. But, uh, I,
1: I, yeah. I can I can stand behind the, that choice. Uh, my favorite deck in Legacy and the only deck I have and play right now because I'm not a big fan of the format is a uh, Reanimator deck, non-foil, but everything is Japanese. Yeah,
2: I like it. Well, I think my favorite story about like when people giving the middle finger to the format or whatever it's like i think cedric uh, phillips was commentating on a legacy tournament and a storm player it was a combo player at least uh when cedric going on sideboarding of the game one when he were to go through the combo player sideboard uh he just started laughing because it was all (laughs) atox
0: yeah it was actually uh it was actually a Belcher player. Oh, yeah, Belcher. it was. Yeah. Okay. He's, an o- he's an Ohio native. He's part of, uh,
1: the story he's about him curious. isn't uh, that story on your blog. Aren't you mentioning him in uh, the big uh, People's <laughs> I Canon article?
0: Did. I, I did mention him during the process because I love those guys. They're, they're absolutely great. Um, the Team Serious crowd out of Ohio are some of the best, most fantastic people to party with, to, to play cards with. And uh, it was one of those guys, he decided he was just going to take Belcher to the tournament. They don't play Burning Wish like I do, so their deck is even more extreme. But You can put you 15 Islands in your sideboard, you can put 15 Atogs in your sideboard, it doesn't matter. <laughs> so, <laughs> it just lets you just do more things that are completely ridiculous.
2: It's a great clip, I've I watched it a couple of times.
0: Yeah, and,
1: and I need to, just as we are talking about uh, this... I need to uh, tell our listeners to check out an article on your blog. Uh, I think it's uh, the one playing the canon in Columbus.
0: Yeah, Lemarchand's box or something. Yeah. Some kind of Hellraiser reference because mm-hmm. I like to compare the canon to... I like to compare the Goblin Charbelcher to the puzzle box from Hellraiser. It's like, you know, you either get it and you play with it or it's not the kind of thing you ever want to touch.
1: Yeah, and I think that's the article where you really tell, like, this is the deck, this is how you play it. Yeah, Do this or go home.
0: (laughs) It's probably the most informative piece of writing I've ever really tackled. Uh, The majority of the blog isn't really magic related. That one's pretty dead on.
1: Yeah, I've read that article a couple of times as I've uh, I've played Belcher a couple of times as well. (laughs) Uh, I do love the deck.
0: I'm preparing for eternal weekend uh next Saturday actually a week from today I'll be sitting down with Belcher probably right about this time. Uh so I just read it myself. I was like, "All right, well how, I'm going to I'm going to just take my own advice. I'm going to go find past me. He's probably smarter than current me." And uh we'll <laughs> we'll see what he was doing. Yeah, yeah, reading my own advice.
4: Nice. Like, oh, yeah, I remember reading
1: But as we're talking about um that article of things, I will put it in the show notes for everyone who wants to play Belcher at, at an event. Uh, that is everything you need to know about Belcher. Uh, just read it, pick up the cards, go play, and you're set. But um, that article can be found on mtgunderground.wordpress.com, which is your blog. Uh, can we talk a little bit about the, that um, yeah, because we mentioned it a couple of times now that
0: you sure, are sure.
1: blogging and um, uh, how, how did that start?
0: You know, I've I've been writing for years. I've been writing for most of my adult life and it's mostly just stuff that sits on my computer. I've never really pursued a whole lot with it. Just something I do more cathartically, more artistically than anything. And uh, it was right after the uh, that first Star City Top 8, I decided to write a tournament report. And in the process, I just, you know, I, I poured a drink and I, you know, I got a little bit celebratory and was having a good time. And I just wrote like I would write anything else rather than trying to write a piece of magic. And I didn't really have any kind of agenda with it. And I posted it on the source and it was it was something I kind of did, not really expecting any kind of feedback. And, and I was very surprised by the reactions to it, the, the very positive uh, reaction to it because it was so different. It was something that wasn't, you know, uh, a play-by-play of a tournament. It wasn't, you know, telling you about why you should play this card or that card. Because reading Magic articles, the most technical and the most uh, well-informed pieces are typically pretty boring. And your average Magic player is probably not looking for that level of technical uh, detail. So, most people skim articles and they they they're just looking for a deck list, and they're not really digging into the meat of it. So, I just wanted to offer something. and and on top of that, I'm not exactly the best magic player. I don't have a whole <laughs> lot of of like real good advice to offer you. Anything that I have to say, somebody is probably going to be able to give you better advice somewhere else if you're trying to win a tournament. like i'm 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 not the best source of that. But what I can offer you is I can offer you some kind of entertainment. I can offer you a little bit of a taste of the life that I'm living and the way that I'm playing the game. So I decided to approach writing from that angle. And and rather than write uh, a worse technical article, I thought I would write a more colorful piece that at least I could give you something to make it worth your time coming to read it. That's not for everybody. There, there are definitely people who will read it and go, what, what am I reading? Why is this? Why, why did anyone even write this? How is any of this real am i actually at a magic tournament with people like this and now they've got a kind of question every time they see a guy who's glassy eyed sitting in the corner like what that guy's up to but for the most part you know there are people who've seen fear and loathing in las vegas and and are fascinated there are people who are you know who are out there and they, they don't play a game of magic sober and you know for that more casual maybe more uh uh rowdy crowd I think I uh, may be more of a target market. <laughs> it, and there's, it really there's, is. There's not a lot of that out there. There haven't been a lot of magic writers who wrote about things other than trying to be super technical about magic. Yeah. Um, I, we were I recently... T-
2: my favorite article that, that's like not uh, an, a usual magic-related article is the guy who won some Star City Games thing on shrooms.
0: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I it's on that.
2: Vice. I think Vice yeah. or something like that published it.
0: He, he wrote another one before that. That was a he was talking about his first trip to the Pro Tour. Okay. And uh, and he you know he's he's somebody who was a good player at some time. I don't I don't know him. I think he's from uh, British Columbia. I think he's from somewhere up in Canada. But uh, he, he he's a he's a good writer. And uh, he wrote a pretty scathing piece about the Pro Tour and, and expectations and getting there and, you know, little things like finding out that, you know, the venue is in a dirty part of town and they didn't provide lunch and all these things that he just was not really prepared for. And it's a very, very negative article, but it's beautifully written. Yeah. And all of all of the scathing like negativity of it is hilarious if you're in the right mindset. but it offended-
2: because, because he's in the mindset like I think. <laughs> like regular people are when oh, they right, think right. about magic players spending their whole like weekends sitting in yeah. like
4: uh,
2: rooms with <laughs> uh, like and
0: that's what he was talking about. I think he I think the pro tour he was writing about it might have been in Belgium or somewhere and he was talking about how I've just traveled to Europe and I'm doing this thing and I I you know grouped in with all of these people and they're they're not even looking around we're in a less than pleasant part of town. There's all this stuff around us that we could be going and doing. And instead I'm huddled into this crappy (laughs) building where they're not feeding me playing this card game and being miserable. It's Uh, like an ever miserable and nobody wants to own up to it. It was just kind of a, uh, you know, for me, I, I was very fascinated with the piece because I can understand how somebody would end up there. For somebody yeah. who's playing pro tours and that's your life and things, it's a little bit overly critical and negative of something that people love. Of and course. I try to stay away from that. I try to. From I, you the know,
2: negativity
0: or. Yeah, because, you know, if you're somebody who's going to a Friday Night Magic and you're playing standard and you're loving it. Like, and you're having a good time. Good for you, man. Like, I don't want to take that away from you. I don't want to discourage you from doing that. There's a, there's a place in this game for everybody. And it's, you know, we don't all fit in the same place or the same category. We just got to kind of find our place in it. And, you know, so I always encourage people. The first thing I tell anybody is like, if you are not having fun, you are not doing this right. I don't care what it is you're doing in this game. Find the place where you're having the most fun. There are people not like sitting down to play old school. They do not like playing a game of magic where nothing's on the line and coming from somebody who's played for auntie as many times as possible. I get that, (laughs) but the game should be a good time. If you don't want to hang out with a bunch of drunk people, you know, maybe don't come to my house on Friday night. But like if, if, uh, if whatever it is that, that makes this game appealing to you, that's the thing you should pursue. And if you're, talking about how you have to play modern this weekend or you have to do this or that and it's it's not fun for you and you're not around people that make it fun for you like it's time for some serious self-reflection about your relationship with this game and uh i think yeah i I love this uh this philosophy about it that's
1: it's just amazing. Uh,
2: actually, I, I like when I started playing old school, like just a uh, couple of years, like after I my I got a kid. I think I started reasoning like this as well because I I played some like uh, tournaments when I really wanted to win and everything, even playing old school. But like <laughs> when all said and done, like when I just like took a step back and like. Looked at what was fun during all of the tournaments I went to, and everything. It's just that like sit having going with a couple of friends to a place, playing, drinking beer, like having the time around the magic,
0: yeah, yeah, and then, and that's that's exactly it. Like you know, I wrote about it in one of my blog posts, so I'll just kind of briefly touch on it here. but like I was when I finally stepped away from competitive magic, I was in before the pptq you know change over whatever happened i was playing in a ptq i decided i was going to make the pro tour I was like you know what i want to play in the pro tour there's one in honolulu if it's going to be modern i like you know i know how to play modern at least you know maybe that would you be have a, you be have the stomping ground <laughs> no no, no I, was, I was playing i borrowed a burn deck or something but i was doing okay. really well and i was like five and one i have to win like one more round to play But every single person I played against all day was just a terrible person. They were just miserable. They were not having fun, and they were (laughs) salty to me. And the last guy I played just treated me terribly. From the second he sat down across the table from me, he was just an awful human being to me. But it wasn't even personal. He just was having such a miserable time that all of his interaction with me was miserable. And then on top of that, he didn't see me as a person. I was just a roadblock to one more way for him to get unlucky and not get what he deserved and he was so so angry (laughs) and when i finally i beat him and he was just so upset like i saw him standing off by himself like he didn't even have a group of friends to go like complain to and i thought that is a person who is destroying their life playing Mm -hmm. this game there is no fun in any of this room he paid money to come here and not enjoy this
2: we we have a really good player in our play group that he got uh I played was a WMCQ, like World Magic Championship yeah. qualifier and uh, I watched a game where he was like being the the his opponent was being called uh, called the judges like over a couple of times and like I I didn't know him at that time our friend that in our play group but the game after he just like after he had won against me, he just scooped up his cards and said, like, I just want to go and uh, play on a side event or something. Uh, you can yeah. have this game. Because he, he got so... Uh, the, his opponent had, like, taken the fun out of it. Right. Yeah, and yeah, he's and a really good player.
1: I mean, it was and the same for me the day two of uh, the GP Stockholm. Like, the day one, I had an amazing time, met wonderful people talk to all the friends and day two like everyone got so competitive and many of the matches like they they weren't any fun anymore and it's
2: something you probably can get over as well i think it's a we're one-sided in this argument so absolutely absolutely a lot of people playing competitive magic is really they are uh, probably having fun yeah they're having fun and that's what they're there for it's, it's that, an aspect of the game that uh, you shouldn't frown upon but
0: right no absolutely and I think, I think for the people who do have fun with that and who do find the joy in that I think that's a great place for them and I definitely would encourage it it's good for the game to have that stuff but if like you're trying to be part of that and that isn't for you it, it it helps to just sit down and have some self-reflection because there are places in this game where you can enjoy yourself. Yeah. And, and the same goes, if you're playing casually, if you're playing with a bunch of guys who you just feel like aren't taking the game serious enough, who who don't care enough about the game, a guy who just, you know, you're trying to test You want to test your legacy deck out but the only deck he has is a goblin charbelcher deck where he's trying to (laughs) kill you on turn one you're not getting any real data out of it like maybe it's not the place to hang out either so you know it's definitely a two-sided place but just the reason it's so there's so much texture to it for me is that that was the moment when i decided i was like i need to step away from this this is not the place where i want to be I'm not even going to be able to take the week off of work to go to Honolulu. <laughs> I don't even yeah. know why I'm trying to win this thing. Like, I've just been told for a while that maybe I should, like, if I was good enough, I might be able to make the pro tour. But when I get there, they're going to make me draft. Like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. I'm like, I definitely, <laughs> definitely have no interest in making this happen. So, yeah. So, like... You know, having an understanding of what your relationship is with the game, whatever that may be, is going to help you enjoy it more. And my blog has helped me do that a lot, too. Just being able to sit down and write about the things that I love and, you know, mix magic with life and art and and just kind of tie everything together in, in an entertaining and very cathartic way. You know, I talk a lot about my life in it a little bit. I talk sometimes almost a little uncomfortably about some things because, and probably incriminating myself at times mm-hmm. and there's there's definitely some half written articles sitting in the reserve right now that i i'll look at from time to time and think this might provide a little too much information or it might be a little too obvious to people who other accomplices in this scenario are and maybe i shouldn't put them at risk but uh you know it's it's the idea there's there's a lot of great stories out there and they're not always the you know who you played in round three stories like if you're going to a gp and, you know, you grind through that day one and then you're in bed at 8 p.m. so that you can be well rested for a day two. And, and you grind that day two and, you you know, you narrow, narrowly miss prize or whatever. And then, you you know, you catch your quick flight home and you never really did anything else but magic through that whole weekend. There's a whole lot of things out there that you probably missed out on. And, you know, maybe those things aren't for you, but maybe they are. So. You know, I I found the same thing where you play a lot of day ones of GPs, and day one of a GP is usually a blast because you get to play against some of the best people, especially if you don't have buys. The other guys without buys in (laughs) the rounds are the people who are there just like you, and they're just having a good time, and they paid their money to be part of this big thing. And, you know, they're not really trying to top eight or do any of the stuff, they're trying to have a good time. You get to play against some of the best players, but. Sometimes when you make that day two transition, you just took a lot of people who are probably also good people who are now suddenly under a lot of stress and people tend to behave differently when they're under pressure. So, you know, what you bring to the table sometimes influences how you behave at the table. Yeah, but I I
1: like me and my friend at GP Prague, like last year, I think it was, uh, we actually both dropped Uh, from the main event even though we both had chance uh, for a day two of the six rounds just because i said but it's like 10 o'clock in the evening and we we don't want to throw away we're in prague we haven't Mm. been there before there are a lot of good like bars and things and like see the city shouldn't we just drop we can come here later tomorrow and do a side instead
0: yeah, and there's just a lot more fun in that a lot of times, so I definitely try to live inside of that part of the game. It's it's just way more enriching.
3: I've literally never been to a GP, so this is good news because I missed out on nothing, it seems like.
0: You know, you know what? I went <laughs> no, to... No, you, uh, you have. I went to oh, wait, no, I went to
3: GP Chicago. Oh.
0: And back in uh, January, the I went to Louisville, and... uh it was Legacy, and I never even saw the main event. It was the other side of the room. I had no idea. We played Vintage all weekend. We played Sanctioned Vintage. Uh, I played like six events over the course of the uh, the afternoon. I had a blast. Um, yeah. You know, there's definitely yeah, well, the opportunity to make the fun at a GP. There's a lot of things going on. Yeah. There's a lot of cool stuff. And if you play the main event a lot of times you never find time to see like the the real good stuff that's going on at a GP. You know, if you're into artists, like just having artists around is real cool. You know, I always try to find a reason to give some money to those guys and uh, you know, just vendors You can find some of the weirdest stuff and uh, it's just always a good time. And then, you know, side event magic is a lot of my favorite magic really because it's a lesser commitment of time, you know, it's a it's a lower level of like intensity from you know you're probably gonna get a better mix of people. It's usually people playing the format that they love because they have all of the options. If I get to pick any format that I want, I'm gonna pick the one that I actually enjoy playing in turn, you tend to get the same kind of people. And uh, I think there's a lot of value in that. I think I think they they're you know the real quality GPS are the ones that really kill it on the side events.
3: Yeah, I mean GP Chicago was when uh, Conspiracy came out, so that was so that's all I I went to GP Chicago because I was down on Navy Pier for like two hours just to play some Conspiracy. Then I went home and it was fun. It was yeah. a good time.
4: <laughs>
3: Hung out with one of our friends that were that was vending too because they owned a shop. So yeah, right. it was fun.
0: But hey, you can't beat that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. but
1: um, I think we. Um... Uh should go over to our first topic of the day, <laughs> <All> actually, <laughs> after all this uh, One rambling. hour in. <laughs> no, we're only like 40 minutes in, I think.
2: Well, I, I've had my coffee and I'm at my second beer, so um, Yeah. I, I'm, gonna... I'm getting ready at least. Yeah,
1: I'm not on my second beer, but coffee. I have a 75 centiliter uh, Belgian <laughs> uh, beer with a lot of alcohol in it instead, and it's almost empty. <laughs> ah, this is the War- way you do Warner podcasts. Gordon is really posh.
2: Yes, doing it with his beer. I like to have them like the old guys in the corner, the Tom Waits characters. I like those, those kind of beers.
1: Yeah, but I have worked with beer, and Grant works with beer, so we are we are allowed, yeah, yeah. I think. I can enjoy. So what do yeah, you yeah. say, Grant? We're allowed to be a little posh when it comes to beer.
3: Uh, <laughs> so. I mean, this is a little off topic, but I was at that I was at a bar last night for a friend's going away party, and ran into this couple that I've met before that love beer, and I'm just drinking High Life because, hey, I don't want to spend a lot of money because I've got, I have about six cases of beer in my car right now, and I'm like, <laughs> I don't want to spend any, I don't want to spend any money. I already did a shot of Malort. I just want something to sip on, like just give me a High Life. I want something ah. cheap, and she was just uh, the the guy was just like, oh, I'm surprised you're drinking a High Life, and I'm like, I don't care. I just want to drink a beer, like it's like I'm not.
1: Sometimes you just want that, like
2: just a cold
3: beer. And someone has
2: to speak out for the little man.
3: Yeah, well, (laughs) I mean, I'll take a triple or like a, like a Belgian strong or something completely off the, you know, different. Or I'll drink a High Life. Like I, I I can go either way. it Doesn't really matter to me.
0: Everything has its uh, time and place. I'm always fascinated with beer culture because I'm I've been a whiskey guy since I could drink, and uh, I've never developed much of a, a preference to beer. Like I only drink beer if I'm stuck somewhere where That's there's no there's no booze, and uh, you know I don't even I don't, it's you know, almost I don't, the same drink. Right, right, but it's different. I think I mean beer's carbonated, right? Like it's thicker. Oh, there's just something about it I don't really. It just it's not the same thing. Like, I can drink whiskey all day long, and I'm having a good time. Uh, right now, I'm actually putting down, a, I'm pouring the third glass, a, a mix in mixing wine, rum, and a orange juice, poured over a bunch of frozen fruit. Oh. Uh, it's, it's a morning, so... That's a breakfast. You know, it's, no, yeah, that's it's about 11 o'clock here in uh, in Detroit, so I'm about an hour ahead of Grant. So, you know, I was like, well, let's, uh, let's make myself a morning beverage so oh, you know, that's I'm probably the, thir-
1: the most amazing uh, b- breakfast saturday breakfast i've ever heard of
0: <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's uh, saturday at least yeah i don't have anywhere to go i'm gonna probably you know i'm gonna invite my brother's gonna come over later my buddy chad's got an old school cube i think that's the plan for the day oh, so nice. there's no reason there's no reason not to start drinking at eight thirty. i might throw some laundry in and forget about it you know wait seems, for a seems like a perfect Saturday I would say you're right like you can't beat it it's raining outside it's beautiful like everything's great
2: <laughs> okay so okay. W- w- <laughs> <the> first topic <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, so yeah. the vintage and the old school scene how what you, you talked about like how you you started out with vintage and the, the community got started in that fashion
4: yeah, yeah.
1: What, you what, like what, t- what Tell happened? us a little more about like the okay, rise of so, old school.
0: Yeah, so it started with, you know, old school started for us. Um, just kind of a, a casual topic with my brother when I was first looking to move back to Michigan in like uh, near the end of 2011. And I hadn't heard of old school. I didn't know a whole lot about it, but we were just talking about magic in general. And he was just getting back into wanting to play, but didn't have a lot of cards. And I said, hey, what if we just played Magic like it was when we started? I was like, let's just start, you know, before the Legends came out. You know, we'll start with, like, the release of Legends. We'll pull up the old rules and shit. We'll pull up the old restricted list. And we'll just build decks out of only the cards that were there. And we'll play it till we're sick of it. And then we'll release the dark. And we'll rebuild our decks with some dark cards. And then when we're sick of that, we'll release Fallen Empires. And let's just go through this motion. And he was he was just enamored. He's like, that sounds like the most amazing idea ever. You know, well, I never really I was telling somebody about it, and they're like, Oh, you should see what these guys are doing overseas. You know, kind of linked me to the the old school blog, and I was like, Oh, this is amazing. There's people doing this stuff. This is really cool. And I immediately realized I'm like, oh, there's there's some merit to using a a modern uh, restricted list rather than just going back to a time when dingus egg is too powerful, <laughs> you know? So like, uh, you know, my, you know, so we, we quickly adapted to that and we just started playing and I found a couple other guys that were playing here and there. And, you know, I, I just started buying up the stuff that I knew I was going to love and I didn't really worry about whether or not there would be people to play with. Cause at, at worst, this is, I probably play magic with my brother 75% of the time. Seventy five percent of the time I'm gonna be able to play this stuff. So so, you know, it was a no brainer to get in. But then uh, I'd been back in Michigan for about a year. I hadn't um I hadn't had a lot of time to, to do stuff, and then I got it tried to get into the competitive magic and that wasn't working for me. And when I decided to get out of that, I was coming up on my birthday in January, and I thought, I'm gonna have a vintage tournament for my birthday.
4: <laughs> you
0: know, it's just gonna be a one off I invited everybody I knew, everybody I could think of. We'll make it full proxy, so nobody's got to worry about picking things up, and we're just going to go have a good time. We're probably not even going to finish this thing. We're probably going to get drunk and and forget about it, but it'll be fine. Well, you know, I, I'm fortunate to have uh, uh, R.I.W. Hobbies is, is a local game store that I have a lot of history with, and they basically let me run whatever I want out of there, real cool to me. Um, so I ran it there, and everything went good. Way better than I could have expected, and people were actually playing vintage and actually having fun. And uh, we started talking about it, and we're all celebrating. And you know, the question came up was, "Well, when's the next one?" I was like, "I don't know. You guys want to do this month?" It's like, "Yeah, well, let's do it." So a month later, I had eight more guys, and and I just fired one once a month for for the.
2: So so some of the recipe for the success was like everybody's invited. You don't need really don't even need the cards or just
0: finding a reason and a way to get everybody together in the same room you know to get people talking to find something everybody wanted to do together and and that was that was what launched vintage for us locally and you know
2: here uh, a lot of people are like they're afraid of (laughs) vintage yeah they, they think like the the older or like the more cards in the format like people only playing standard think maybe modern is like you win in three four turns but vintage that's like okay nobody gets to do anything
0: right everybody
2: wins in turn one
0: (laughs) right and it's funny because all of the things that people worry about being true in legacy and vintage all of the stereotypes that are not very becoming of the format are exactly the kind of things that i'm usually trying to do in those formats but, um, <laughs> but it's more true modern. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So sometimes it's just a matter of getting people so, getting the cards so in, introducing
2: them to the formats you're like, "Yeah, no, no, no." And then you pick up your Charbel, your deck and like one
0: of the one of the places where I'm fortunate here is, you know, we've got a long history of it. A lot of the guys that came out are guys that I was playing vintage with 15 years ago. So you know, it's it's guys who are already familiar. Maybe we'd all quit, or we'd you know limped away, or we'd moved on to other things. But you know, the idea of it was, you know, let's get out and try it again. And uh, you know, I think Magic Online has helped some with with that. I've had a few guys that have come out that just saw my post on the managerain and they drove two hours to come play vintage with us. And you know, we get about you know we get on average about
2: well, what what do you mean that Magic Online did like the
0: so they made uh they made vintage. And, you know, uh-huh, okay. forgive me. I don't. I don't play anything. Yeah, online. Okay. Like, I don't know Magic Online. I'm not real familiar with yeah, it. they released but
2: they, the old cards. They released it, online.
0: and yeah, okay. people. Pl- there's vintage events, and people play vintage, and there's a whole new community of vintage players that yeah. it's actually quite vintage big playing right now. online. Yeah, so there's all these guys that had never played vintage before. They played it on Magic Online. Who you know they they maybe they have a different take on the format they don't remember all of the things you know they were, weren't playing when Worldgorger Dragon was my deck and there was no dredge and all these different things that are that are real now but they're playing modern vintage and you know and they love it and there's there's people that are that are really into it maybe more into it than me I think I play vintage because I found a deck that I love um, despite a format that's maybe moved beyond me. But, uh, yeah. you know, I think not- the,
2: the, the that's the for the, the one of the problems with vintage is that when it grows and when pros plays it or whatever, back in the day when Wiseman made the deck, he had like four mind twists and he, he made an <laughs> argument. For, or he was like, maybe we shouldn't have four mind twists in this format. And they like restricted it at least, I think. No, and, they but banned the it. problem now with the restriction is in vintage is that the it's the wrong type of people that decides because it's like they go from, they go via the pros and the pros are like really, really they Well, the, the guys, usually at least we talked about, like they want to win. Okay. Workshop is the best deck. I'm going to play workshop. But when it comes to paper cards, you don't go and buy four workshops just to get the best deck.
0: Right, Usually right. you don't, pet
2: <laughs> but to, to play yeah. against like my seven other friends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but
1: it's, it's think... the, uh, as with me. I've played uh, Grixis Thieves uh, since I started playing Vintage. Um, I haven't played Vintage for that long. I bought my power for old school. Um, but it, it, it hasn't been viable for uh, I God know how long. But now it's starting to get viable again. And I've just. Con- Continued to play it. So I'm super happy because it's the pet deck and you play your pet deck in vintage
0: That's Mm -hmm. my approach to it, too And I find that a lot of the people that that there's a lot of the vintage community. They're just guys like that They're not you know, I don't care what the best deck is I don't care if my decks well positioned if everybody's playing four null rods in their main deck I probably can't win a game, but I'm gonna try so I'm not gonna change what I'm playing because I love what I'm playing you know just because things have gotten bad for me because i'm not going to have more fun playing something else just cuz it can probably win and i'm also probably not going to win with it cuz i don't know what i'm doing so, so uh but how
2: know. how did it co- how did it go from like vintage to old school for so, you guys?
0: yeah so th- yeah, how did so you build the, the community so when we we started having monthly vintage gatherings there were a handful, there were like three or four guys that had already on their own kind of discovered some texture of old school and some, you know, incarnation of old school. And, uh, so suddenly between rounds, people are playing games old school over in the corner and then it's, we get talking and you know, then it's, and you know, we don't want to draft on Friday night or we don't want to play standard, but we can get together at the game shop on Friday night and go sit in the corner and, you know, sipping out of a flask out of our bag. Still throw down some old school games, and now you've got players coming over to see what's going on. What are these guys doing? What are those cards? You know, and uh, and and it's exciting because we're having a good time. But and you know, enthusiasm is infectious. When people see you having a good time playing Magic, they they tend to be more interested in it. And you know, you might have fifteen guys look on, and only one of them takes a serious interest. But that one guy is going to be trying to jam together some you know, some mono black or some mono white, you know, whatever, just to get into the game, that guy's probably going to sleeve up some curd apes and maybe not have the best time next week, but he's going to give it a try. And, and that's helped a lot. And then I combine that with, you know, I've written about it some, so I introduced people to I'm like, oh, you know, check out my blog. And they're like, well, tell me more about this old school. I'm like, Oh, I have a couple of decks I've put together. Right now I'm down, back down to about five, but I had like eight old school decks together, just so people could play some games with me, and you know get a feel for what we're really talking about. And uh, but I'm magical. I'm not
2: really I don't uh, I only play like the old uh, the Swedish rules or whatever. You sure, do sure. you use? The, does everybody in like do you use the easy rules or? Uh, what yeah. Do you call it? So,
0: so in in move again, I started out with all the like Swedish with grounds. Yeah, so I started out with all of the the European rules and were doing all the old school stuff, and and that was great. But I found that more and more people that I was encountering were playing with Eternal Central rules, and it seemed to be more the the standard for the U.S. So just for simplification, and just kind of adjusted and moved into that way. I'm not real preferential to one or the other. Like I I don't, you know, I know there's a lot of polarizing arguments over you know, whether or not you should allow Strip Mines or whether or not you should allow Fallen Empires. So, like, all of that stuff is... It's all fun to discuss to a point. But, like, none of it really matters. Like, in the end, as long as you're playing old school and you're having a good time, like, I'm in. So my Eureka deck is 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 Swedish legal, kind of mm-hmm. by accident. Um I only had room for one Strip Mine in the deck. Um The Fallen Empires monsters aren't better than, you know, the Beta monsters. So... It, the deck just sort of built itself in a way that that lended it to that and um you know but it's
2: maybe it's the lands or should we should we talk about your Eureka your deck no um
1: no. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I want more because you just uh yeah, how, so, how, did you, how did you grow the grow the community so, uh, so that's with more that's players it
0: once you started getting guys to where they would they would pair up and start talking and you know, it it sort of organically grew itself. Like um, by having vintage gatherings, you just got guys that were interested in old school in the same room. So they started playing old school together. And that's how, you know, the weekly meetups have, have started. There's a couple of guys in the area. It's like, there's a guy that lives over by my work, you know, and if I'm, you know, not covered in mud at the end of the day, you know, he'll invite me over and we'll have a few beers and we'll play some games. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, not anything heavy, but that's probably where 60 70% of my magic takes place is like pickup games throughout the weeks. You know, when we don't have time to go play a tournament, but we still want to play cards, you know, we might get four guys together on a Wednesday night and play for three hours. So it's and, more like and it's contacting just all, everyone, it's all just contacts. Is you know, I'll get a message over Facebook or over Twitter, or somebody will call my phone, hey, do you want to play old school tonight? Or do you want to get together saturday i got you know thursday we were going to get together and i had a work meeting and i didn't make it so you know i got a message yesterday hey you know since we didn't play thursday do you want to play saturday so that's how the cube's going to happen today so you and not, has it
2: grown much in like the last years or the community
0: i would say the number of people that i encounter that have an old school deck is significantly higher than it's been you know and it, it gets more and more so every year i see more and more of it being played Um, I just had the opportunity to, you know, drive with a few guys out to Chicago for the old school players ball. You know, their community is fantastic. You know, they're all great guys that, you know, I, I get to talk to online and I met a lot of players there that, you know, I've since been having, you know, just regular casual, just discussions about, you know, old cards and the format and, you know, things like that. So I think just getting us all connected has allowed it to grow on its own. It's there's not like, uh, unlike where with vintage, where I, I, organized a monthly getting everyone together. Old school is just sort of like grown the way magic grew. It was like, so oh, you have got no m- I've monthly. got cards.
4: You have yeah. No no, 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 I, I haven't. Any,
0: I organized a tournament one time and uh didn't get very much of a turnout and it was all guys that I could have had over at my house. So the next time we just got together <laughs> and drank at my house, the problem that I have here locally is uh, you know the uh, there's a you know there's a lot of laws about you know liquor in game stores and things like that and and make a lot of store owners nervous when I bring a bunch of guys in and we've got a you know a mm-hmm. couple of twenty four packs on the table and they're like you know can you yeah. put a can you put a, a like a tablecloth or something over that so it's not so obvious do it things like that but but, but, you, but you, you I can don't see, a...
2: you can see his point uh, you, you know, can see yeah for yeah, yeah no
0: absolutely totally respect that. But because of that, it's a lot harder to organize. I've had more trouble locally organizing, maybe tournaments because I want to create the proper environment and not, you know, I don't want to create a magic tournament environment. I want to create that good time environment and I don't have a, like a real good location for that right now. I live in an apartment. So, you know, I don't have, uh, but I think uh we well, in
2: well, so- yeah, sorry. We,
1: yeah. We, we in Stockholm have, um, like once a month uh, at a set date, uh, at a pub like yeah. we, We're going to play here this time this day just show up uh, and whistling some games uh, Not tournaments and things like that, but like still a set time So it's quite easy to tell everyone that's new like yeah Just show up every the first Monday every month this pub. I've been uh, I've been
0: I've been going out to some local bars and things actually right now and kind of scouting out places that would have the space for us to do that where I live, like in the metro area where I live, um, on the weekends, like everywhere's packed. So, you know, adding adding a handful of guys to come play cards and take up spaces is a real uh. problem. That was one of the things I noticed that was so different when I went to Chicago. Is there were places that had the space for Magic players to get together and play and drink all day. Where, you know, where I'm at, a lot of the, the local places are pretty small. And uh, they kind of are banking on using that space to make money. So that's that's been my current issue that's my real you know current bump in the road as far as like organizing something bigger locally on a monthly is i want somewhere where people can go and and have a good time and drink but i i, haven't I think found
2: gordon that is super big, connected yeah. in that <laughs> department.
0: yeah yeah i can see how that works out yeah but, that's a super I,
3: fine balance too because even like when we go out and play like on a, reg- a random day, we want to make sure we're going somewhere without servers, so they're not. We're not sitting there just taking up space, and she could be making right. more money on a table that's flipping faster. So we do our best to try to go to a bar that isn't going to care that we're taking up two tables and just hanging out for a couple hours and not really spending that much money. Right,
1: right. Yeah, same here. Uh, like, it's important that everyone drinks, so the bar actually thinks we're good customers, and important that it's. It's not a bar that becomes full. So we take up, because we take up more sp- spots than anyone, that, that other people would. Right. With the playmats yeah. and everything, is okay and yeah. spread out. So it, it is hard to find a place. Our, uh, our, the bar we've used uh, for, uh, I've played Magic at that bar for I don't know how long, almost five years, four years at least. Uh, it closed down a couple of months ago, so we're we're in the same spot now, trying to find a new place. Uh, right, it yeah. isn't that easy.
2: And every yeah, time we go to the bar, I only complain afterwards that it yep. was too expensive.
1: Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we want a... we want nice beer. He wants right a beer, and
0: yeah, yeah. And I just want a place that'll serve me Jameson. Like I just <laughs> I need to be able to get some whiskey, like, and not be broke. Uh, in two uh, hours, so. Jameson can't be called whiskey. That's just hey. <laughs> listen, if I'm if I'm in a bar, like I'm not I'm not drinking scotch. Like if I'm at home, like I can pick up a nice bottle for what I'm gonna spend at the bar. But like if I'm going to the bar, it's it's gotta be. I think I gotta... if you if,
2: if you don't drink beer, if you do it whiskey, I th- I can respect that you like Jameson because then yeah. you do it the way I do it with beer. I like nice <laughs> beers as well, but like. At least here in Sweden, the beer has gotten so expensive with the like IPA I, 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 revolution and whatever. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. No. <laughs> okay, let's, let's stop. Okay, let's,
4: let's stop.
1: okay. Let's let's move away from the liquor discussion and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. just um. I've, 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 I'm only having one last question about uh, community yeah. uh, building. Or actually, no, I have two. Uh, the first is, if I understand correctly, you. You put together a bunch of old school decks yourself, uh, which you can uh, lend out to people to try to yeah. get more people. Is that true?
0: Yeah, that's that was uh, that was my big project at the start of the year. Was just to get enough decks together that were vi- that were playable, so people could play cards against each other. So how many do you have? Uh, I'm down. I'm back down to five right now. So you have so five I, decks, I an and eight. then like your deck. Yeah, so you you,
1: with only your card pool, you can play six people. Yes, that's really cool. How
0: has that worked out like for getting Uh, new people? That that's a, a huge help because it gets cards in somebody's hand and it gets them to actually just play a game, and they're not getting their first exposure to old school by like going into one of the Facebook groups and, and clicking on the wrong thread and seeing all kinds of arguments, they're getting their first exposure to old school by seeing the cards and having the cards in their hand and playing the cards and casting Ernamjin and and attacking with a white knight and and doing the things that are the reasons we play this rather than getting caught up in in like discussions and arguments and and all of the different things that that can take away from the reason we're all doing this. If you just put the cards in someone's hand and they sit down and play it, if this format is for them, they're going to know right away, and they're going to want to play another game. And most of the time, after somebody's borrowed a deck, you know, they're looking at it and they're going, "Well, I wonder what I can put together." And uh, and that's that's been a a great way to get somebody to start playing old school. Um, Would you say and- that's your like
1: uh, the the best tip you can? Uh, give anyone who wants to start uh, his or her own community somewhere where there yeah. aren't uh, many players. Like, getting... getting
2: so because that's, that's, to that's the... what you, you're after, right, Gordon? Like, okay, if you are at a place where you just started picking up old school, and I really can see that maybe you're only, like, two, three people talking about it, like, where do you go about...
0: Right. that's so. That's what I would say is, you know, put put a few extra decks together so that somebody can sit down and play games with you guys. You know, if you got two guys playing and there's there's a third person watching, like let them get in, let them pick up one of those decks and, and let them actually sling the cards, you're a lot more likely to hook somebody and and get them to want to come back and play. You know, and and they're a lot more likely to buy in once they've tried it out and once they see. And then it, it just it grows on its own from there. You know, but you you also have to with that, you also have to always remember, like the way you present yourself to other players. Like people are drawn to people who are having a good time. If you're sitting over in the corner and you know you're playing with your your power and all your expensive cards, and and somebody comes over and they ask something that you know seems kind of foolish or whatever, yeah, I
2: just usually um, like you know, shoo them off.
0: Shoo right. So get away. if you if you shoo <laughs> them off and you tell them to go away or you you, you know you you turn your nose up at them. Like they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna engage. They're they're right. not gonna see it, and they're gonna think, oh, well, I don't want to play with those assholes. So like, the people think know, that anyway a... of us because right, that's right. like that's like I
1: mean... how we are as a old school community in Stockholm. Everybody else you see <laughs> us like, we don't want to play with those assholes.
2: Right, right. Oh, no, they only see you that way, Gordon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> goddamn! <laughs>
0: Burned. <laughs> 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 Uh, but that's that's, you know, being an ambassador to the community helps a lot, you know, just being a person who who makes people want to try it, you know, want to feel like they're part of it helps out. And, you know, that's a, that's something that I become more and more aware of, too, is because, you know, I, I from an appearance standpoint, I'm not the most uh, approachable person. Like I, uh, <laughs> I look like a lot of times I look like I just got out of prison and like I have to be aware of that you know, because somebody who's new isn't necessarily going to feel real comfortable coming and talking to me about something. If I'm, you know, I'm sitting there scowling or I've got an attitude or whatever. So, you know, it helps that well, well, you're
2: not in prison because you play magic. No, that was the, exactly like,
0: that's, that's always the connecting point. So when I'm drinking, I'm always having a good time. I tend to be louder. I tend to be a lot, you know, bigger in my space. And, you know, I, I am a lot more, you know, embracing of people that are in earshot. You know, I like to talk to people. So, uh, You know, I'll engage people that maybe, you know, otherwise might not have approached me. And, uh, you know, sometimes that works out and sometimes it doesn't, but by, by making yourself accessible to a community that's curious, it's a lot easier to pull them in. It's easy to miss that stuff. Like it's easy for us to get kind of caught up in, in what we're doing and focused on what we're doing and, and, and close that off and build walls that we don't even realize we're building and that that will deter a lot of players. Now, one thing that also helps and something that has also sort of lended me the benefit with the uh, eternal central rules is just being able to, you know, let people know, well, it's like, if you want to try it out, buy some fourth edition cards, you know, pick up some collector's edition cards, you know, you don't have to like buy in a hundred percent. You can put a, you can put a reasonably competitive deck together for cheaper and you're going to build standard try it out
1: are you trying to complain on how we play now
0: not at all, not at all. <laughs> no, I'm no. Just saying this 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 is an opportunity that, Shoo! That, Shoo! that lends me to get people to try it out you know and um yeah. and i mean trust me like i just bought beta birds of paradise i'm in the process of selling off stuff to buy to because one of my pieces of power is white bordered and it's just i've decided that that's not where i want to be anymore that's not acceptable so all right so but I would also tell people, I'm like, just because I'm doing this doesn't mean you necessarily have to do with This it's okay for you to do whatever works for you, you know. Play the game at your own level, like find your own comfort zone in it. And if that means playing a Worm over a force of nature, then you know, do that. If that means, you know, likes that... oh, I really I, do. I really I do. Really like, really do. I, I do like crawworm. <laughs>
2: you, you like cards that don't do anything except like. They're, yeah,
1: you're like vanilla idea. creatures, like Lady Orca. Yeah. I,
0: I have a fascination with those cards because I like to think about all the things that they could do that they're just not willing to yeah. do because of how much mana you spent. But... I always think, wow, if this card, if you would have just paid more mana, this card could probably have some abilities. So so like, you know, just your relationship with that card is probably why they're vanilla. You should but make
2: a set like on your blog <laughs> with, with those cards. Like my yeah, like, make yeah, yeah. five cards like, and add one mana and it's make like, put on what, some abilities.
0: What if you had paid five more mana to Lady Orca? Like, yeah. what if all of a sudden she liked you more and she was willing to start <laughs> showing you how she killed Angus yeah. Mackenzie? Because Maybe
2: like a co- the, an upkeep cost or
0: something. Nobody kills a. It's true. He didn't disappear in a fog because he wasn't afraid of her. That's all I'm saying. Like, oh. and he wasn't afraid of her because she's a 7-4 vanilla. So yeah. she's clearly got something going on that you just didn't pay for. So, uh, <laughs> no, like, I, I like, like that, that stuff. idea,
1: Because I've had a... Uh, I have an idea for a cube I've been working on for quite some time... Uh, ...which is a rotted old-school cube... ...where you take all these shitty cards with, like, humongous costs... ...or upkeep costs or <laughs> stupid restrictions. Like, you can only do this in your upkeep when something <laughs> else is tapped down... ...but this t- is not tapped and the opponent has 15 life exactly... Uh, and <laughs> cards like have those stupid restrictions, and just putting them in uh, uh, perfect fits in their sleeves, taking a sharpie and writing on the sleeves, like crossing over mana symbols and things like that, right. to like and fix, fix those the cards. cards and make a oh, cube out of it. That oh, is a long-term so project I have because I uh, my collection is I'm trying to get one of every card. Um, oh so yeah. So I am just I, a couple of cards uh, But just think away about now. think
0: think about like having a forest. It's like you know, tap for a green, but it has an addendum ability, tap this card to put Torsten von Ursus into play. <laughs> like suddenly <laughs> Torsten von Ursus is more playable. And uh you know maybe the fact that it costs like a zillion mana doesn't matter anymore. So yeah, there's a lot of different ways you could do that.
2: Actually, you know, uh, uh, when uh, uh well, when he when we when magic was invented that was what uh, Garfield was thinking about like how can I adapt like poker how can we play with different hey. decks how can if each player has one deck and he has said like recently on a podcast I think you and I have discussed it the podcast uh, Gordon yeah. he interviewed uh, Wiseman. I haven't listened uh, to
1: the Garfield episode yet it's, uh, it's kitchen, kitchen table magic.
2: Yeah. Amazing and, uh, Yeah. And oh, Garfield yeah, got, like Garfie got interviewed and he said like what what you what are you missing right now from Magic? And he he said two things. Like first up you don't have to buy packs, just play with the cards you have and draft, because he loves drafting. But he also said like you should Adapt the game more like to your own sense in the kitchen table area like you. Yeah, like what Gordon has for example thinking of it, what you have with yeah. Crawl worms yes. I think that that's a that's a feel that hasn't been oh, people make new cards and there's a whole thing with that but like Doing stuff that with cards. I think yeah. there is a feel there because the game is so complex it can just right. so much. But then-
0: and when you think about that, like, that's how so many of the early other, like, kitchen table type games, like, you don't, like, when I've only played Dungeons and Dragons a couple times in my life, but, like, I always felt like the guys had just kind of customized the rules to work the way they wanted. And you, know, you don't yeah. see as much of that in magic because magic is, you know, complex enough on its own. But there's a lot of room for creativity.
2: But that was how it was when you started. Like, everybody has their own story from the 90s when they started playing Magic. Like, well, we didn't do that. We just like, oh, we didn't accept black cards because we thought (laughs) a card was too good or whatever.
0: The number of times I've been attacked by a wall of swords, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I totally, I ran into one group of guys early on that they played, all their decks were 200 or 300 cards and they played, they started with a hundred life and you could put as many lands into play every turn as you wanted. And their whole take on magic was just totally different because, you know, they came from a role playing game standpoint. They did, you know, where I came from playing chess. So it was a little different for me, but like they were... Adapting the game very quickly to what they wanted the game to be. You don't nearly see as much of that anymore because everybody's worried about You know trying to make everything as uniform as possible so that as many people can all you know buy into the same thing And that's that's one of those like, you know It always comes back to that's what it always comes back to with old school It's like I don't care what you're doing man. Like let's just play some games of magic, you know I read like yesterday
2: in the uh Wizards of the Coast, uh, they, they're they making uh, this Magic Arena, I think it's called, yeah. the new... Uh, yeah, the like, instead Stone. of Magic, right?
1: magic Hearthstone.
2: <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> and they actually have started making cards to be more like the paper cards. It's Magic has always been a paper card game, yeah. like trading card yeah. game, That and later on it, the... Uh, digitalization of the world and everything just came upon they started making magic from that but now they have started making cards with static abilities instead of triggers because yeah. it's easier to program them <laughs> and that's i think that's a sad statement of how oh, they yeah. look upon yeah. the whole game and everything And I think that's true for art as well. We talked about art earlier that they have like a set, and they have art directors, and everything. But things look more or less the same. But okay, it's good for each set because you get the flavor of the set, and they're in the plane or whatever where you're at. But you don't get the highs and the lows. You get like in, in between the.
0: You get a, you get a more overall objectively better art like on a technical yeah. level and everything's more uniform So you avoid cards like maybe Tetsuo Umazawa <laughs> but like you never like it, It's it's a lot less often that a card just really catches you off guard Because uh, you know everything just looks so uniform and uh, you know, so there's good and bad to that for sure yeah. but I and think when uh, it
2: catches me off guard because like they made a new art for the duress for example, yeah. that I love. But then I have to like take a step back and like, what is it good? <laughs> because I'm right. so used to it being like all the all the art looks the same and it's digital digitalized and everything. Yeah. So yeah. Now the
1: art uh, it's all the art is for one specific group of people. Before the art uh, you could like one artist more than another artist, because they had oh, different absolutely. styles. Now it's one style for one type of uh, people, uh, and that's a little sad, but let's not dive into art. Um, that was, right, um, right, right, right.
2: We already uh, did, Gordon.
1: Yeah, I, I know, <laughs> but let's you not... You can't
2: stop us.
1: No, no, we are yeah. swimming on the surface, we're not going to dive.
0: You got a whole bunch of guys drinking, you got to keep us on point. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I'll try. I am trying.
1: But you have so great.
0: much... You're doing great.
4: <laughs> Thanks.
1: But you have so much interesting uh, things to say. It's really yeah. fun to hear your story about how you started with Vintage, uh, the birthday party, how it all uh, came together with old school, building decks, lending, things like that. Because... Uh, I, I even have a second Chaos Orb just to be able to have it in yeah. a deck I lend out because Chaos Orb is like the the, the card that is old school. So right, right. if I lend someone a deck, I really want them to be able to try Chaos Orb. Absolutely. And I, I, I think your story is amazing. Um, but I do think uh, we should... Um, go to our next topic two topics Uh, and um, our next topic uh is a deck tech Uh, because you uh as i said earlier in the episode uh if i've understood it uh you like green and you played (laughs) eureka for the last couple of months at least and like it yeah. very much so we decided uh, to do a deck tech with eureka this episode and have ben uh joining us for that deck tech because he is the expert on eureka in this little group so uh we're going to have a short music break and come back with a deck tech with eureka Then it's time for this episode's deck tech, uh, as we have the Eureka expert. Uh, we can call you that, Ben, can't we? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we have the Eureka <laughs> expert, Ben, here. So we're going to do a deck tech with the deck Eureka, which is quite a cool deck. Um, it isn't that popular, mostly probably because it's hard to get for Eurekas. Um but it is a super fun deck which also has its equivalents in modern-day magic like Sneak and Show and Show and Tell and Legacy and um, things like that. It, it could probably also be a little bit compared to like the vintage Oath deck, like using one powerful card to sheet out big, big creatures which you wouldn't be able to cost otherwise. Uh, the card selection is, of course, a little bit worse in old school magic, but you can still make it work. And uh, let's start with telling everyone with what Eureka does. Uh, I'm going to do that. And then, Ben, you can tell us like the foundation of the deck. How does that sound?
0: Yeah, it sounds great.
1: And uh, for those who listen who does not know what Eureka does, it's a green sorcery for. Two colorless and two green. And when you cast it, you can take any permanent in your hand and put into play. And then the opponent does the same thing. And then you do it again. And then the opponent does the same thing. And then you do it again. Until both of you says, well, I don't want, want to put anything more into play. So four mana, put your hand into play. That is what the card does and it can do some the permanence permanence and it can do some crazy, crazy things. So how does this deck function? What is the foundations of the deck that essentially every version has been?
0: Alright. So the first and foremost thing you need, uh, with Eureka is cards that you actually want to put into play, um, that you want to pay four mana to put all of these cards into play. So, um, I ran into this deck at a tournament. I was playing against a guy at, at, like on the side at a vintage event, and he was playing a, a build of Eureka, and I thought, wow, I really want to do that. So so, I started just from there. I thought, all right, if I was going to put cards into play, what cards do I want to put into play? And And then how many cards do I really need to have in the deck that I'm going to be cheating into play to make it worth running for Eureka? So I settled on... Twelve monsters and two alternative ways to win the game. So I've I've played around with these numbers, and this is the most customizable part of the deck. This is where you get to do all of the stuff that you want to do. You could yeah. put in. But, but can 12. I can I
1: stop you uh, yeah. uh, Because you said you came up to twelve cards uh, to put like in. Like creatures. Uh, cr- creatures probably, but like. Uh, how did you come up with that number? Why not 20 or why not 8?
0: Well, I actually started out uh, at 16. And I thought, how do I... Just to make sure that I had enough. And then I played around with like Mull getting some games and, and playing some games. And I found that oftentimes I would have 16... I would have a lot more overcasted cards and then maybe not ever have the Eureka. So I needed to find a way to, to adjust. So I found that 14 seemed to be the the place where I consistently would always have something to put into play with Eureka, but not have too much stuff in the games when I didn't have Eureka. Um, And um, that also was, um, you know, sort of left room for, you know, I was comfortable at 16, but I found that there were, um cards that i needed more than those extra slots cards that helped you get to those slots so i trimmed back on those to make room for some of the utility in the deck, which i'll kind of touch on too
2: and, and you're I, you're able to play all the cards with your mana even though you're keeping them how, well, how do you how do you
4: go
0: about so, with that the decisions on... That's that's something you have to address when you decide on what pile of monsters to use. Is do you want to be able to cast them? Um, do you want to realistically be able to cast them? At yeah, hard?
2: realistically, I mean,
0: like... like Because there's a lot of fun cards that cost too much mana that you're just not going to cast. So I, the selection of monsters that I chose, I wanted to at least be capable of casting i have a few of them that are a little sketchy but for the most part i wanted at least half of them to be something you could just easily ramp into but they were also still powerful enough that when you cast them they mattered um and i opted for mahamadi Jinns and force of natures okay but so, uh, so
2: those are the ramp creatures
0: right uh and so. um that
1: part is uh, one of the big things uh, about building the Eureka decks. I, I think we should talk a little bit more about that. Um, like, because you, you, you look at Eureka and think, okay, I'm going to take the biggest, baddest, badass creatures there are because they will only cost four mana and I will win. But you, that decision, you can make a deck like that um, as well. But yeah. you've chosen to do like, not every game will i be able to draw one of my four eurekas what do i Correct. do then And <clears throat> yeah. that is a very important thing about the foundation so that's of the, the deck.
2: first crossroad
1: i would say right. that's the first crossroad would you ben
0: yeah i would agree and this is a place where the entire rest of the deck kind of falls into place around this because i i had seen eureka decks that leaned on uh white cards and you know, Sarah Angels and things like that, because they're very castable. They're still very good cards when you put into play. But the problem with casting Eureka and putting a couple of Sarah Angels into play is if your opponent has a Mahamadi Jinn, suddenly they put something bigger than what you put in. Suddenly the things that you put in weren't good enough to have made it worth casting that Eureka. So you have to make sure that your castable monsters still have an impact on the game. And that's mm-hmm. But then
2: you have the concordant crossroad.
0: <laughs> right, <laughs> Okay, Let's sorry. get to, yeah, yeah. to
2: that. Take one I, I one thing it was at a fun, time. One so thing. Crossroad and now. Oh no. yeah, <laughs> I yeah
0: No, I I liked it. I liked it. I was <laughs> trying to find a way to work that in myself. I was thinking, how do I how do I make a <laughs> crossroads
2: joke? Oh so. god, damn you guys! It's not even a joke. <laughs> 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 I just want oh, to mention yeah. it. <laughs>
4: right? No, I like it.
2: That uh, I because... tried to make a segue from the crossroad to the concord. Yeah, I do
1: like that segue, and and we will. Talk about Concordian crossroads, which yeah. is a card that some people think is super important and some people don't, but I still want to hear more about the creature choices yeah. what creature choice do one so I, have
0: I started out with um, I started out with a, a different mix than I currently play, but I started out with less castable monsters like I had or or maybe like less reliable castable monsters. I started out with four force of natures and uh only one Mahamadi Jinn and then I was all in on some other things. And what I found is that there were a lot of games where I would just cast a Mahamadi Jinn uh on like turn three or turn four and people would not be prepared to deal with it. And the more I could do that, the better off I was. So i I'm, I'm up to three of that card and I'm down to oh. three force of natures. Because sometimes when you Eureka out, remember that just because you put things into play with Eureka, you know, a lot of times you pass the turn, and then you're gonna come back to an upkeep, and you know you gotta pay the Piper. (laughs) So if you've just put three Force Natures into play, and uh, you don't have any green mana, like you know, (laughs) you're probably going (laughs) to die. This is the cost of the life you've chosen to live. (laughs) So, (laughs) So so you you know you gotta be prepared to to pay for your actions. Yeah. So I like so seeing the,
2: the force of nature like coming,
0: walking right, up. So too, like, <laughs> so, yeah, it's like I, I still got to get paid here. Yeah, so, I've
2: done my uh, part of the bargain. I,
0: it's like I showed up. Now you you gotta you gotta front the money. So, um, and that that in turn is why I didn't you know is. It, desirable as it was to just play all five elder dragons and be able to put them into play it's like they all have a cost to pay and the next turn you don't actually get to do anything with them and they just die you really wasted all of everybody's time you know you summon those guys and just let them die and you really let them down so <laughs> yeah you you should never let chromium die, die down right or arcade just, Sabbath. Just, right and i'm never gonna have I'm never going to reliably have white mana, because that's just not really my style, so like, I'm not going to... Oh, really I love you. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I hate
1: white I, so
3: much.
0: Yeah, I do not like to play with white guards, like, it's just not my thing. Like, I'll do it when I have to, but otherwise, you know, forget it. There are so, no so white I, guards. I, I
2: like, like Vedra and
0: Bodyguard. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not one to give any of them a hard time, but they're just not for me. Um, so... Hmm there's no white cards in the 75
2: um yeah that's d- a good choice we, we talked about that earlier like i think a big part of deck construction at least in this format is like uh, constrain yourself to make it more fun and we talked with the uh, chambers from he only plays one color at a time because then you can't play all of the that's the yeah. that's a problem with edh and a bunch of format that you have to put in like 30 40 cards and then you have like right. three slots for the fun cards and
0: right yeah and that's where this comes in is like you know and this is where you'll see like such a, uh, a different way of building because what monsters you choose to play determines which mana you're gonna use um, you're always gonna be base green because Eureka is green but where you go from there is entirely customizable and um, the more green you are, the easier it is to support something like Force of Nature. But if you're a five-color deck, you know his upkeep is four green mana. That's a lot of green mana. You know, <laughs> not everybody's not everybody's uh, purveyors of the green mana like I am. So, you know, not everybody partakes on that level. So, so maybe you don't get so heavily into uh into the green mana culture, and you want to go a different route. There's options. I would I I against...
2: be, be a bit scared from the <laughs> force of nature's punching <laughs> right. you in the face. As right.
0: Well. Like you got to be the kind of person who's willing to take a hit. Yeah, yeah one hit. Is... Yeah, but, but I, the, I saw. Accept
2: uh, the cost. And... Uh, so
1: I, I saw, I think it was last week, uh, a local player uh, put down one Lord of the Pit and one uh, force of nature with Eureka and also one mirror universe. Yes. So in his upkeep, he took fifteen by not paying them, and then mirror well, universe <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well, the tricky part about that is, is with Lord of the Pit, if you have another creature, you do have to eat it. So you you can't just choose to take oh. seven. It is a, it is a must. But uh, I, I've it. made that I've made that play mistake. I actually learned that playing this deck, despite my history with Lord of the Pit, I never realized that. So somewhere along the line, uh. I, I had to find out the hard way that, you know, yeah. you do have to sometimes eat a force in nature. That's so, where all
2: your ramp creatures come in, I guess. Yeah. yeah. You're going to yeah, sacrifice so,
0: birds. So after I have three Mahamadis and three force in natures, you know, I also, you, you want to be able to actually kill your opponent. Um, I've seen some builds that don't really reliably do that. They're just trying to value Eureka. And yeah. I guess that's okay. But that sounds I like, much more fun. <laughs> that That's, that's, probably a more reasonable approach to things but probably I've never been not as fun for, yeah, <laughs> yeah i've never been known for being reasonable so i started out with four colossus of sardia i thought <laughs> this was the big bad guy when i started this was the biggest creature in the game when i started playing magic this is what i want to do oh so yeah I, I, yeah yeah and the art is fantastic oh you i know, love the flavor it. is fantastic right. you know one shot robot is a is a is a force to be reckoned with mm. I will say... Yeah, and the it's Jesper Murfors. Right.
1: Yes,
0: yes. I like, him. Yes. I, I like Jesper. If you Gordon, have... we
2: aren't supposed to talk about art. <laughs> <laughs> and it's no, but so we, we're talking about the schedule. Uh,
4: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I,
1: I, have, um, I have hand-painted art from him at home because
0: I like him. Did so. you paint it? Yes.
2: <laughs>
0: no. He is... <laughs> If you ever have a chance to meet him, anybody listening, you know he's such a great guy. He's absolutely great to get to talk to. So,
1: yeah, amazing guy.
0: Highly recommend it. So um, I eventually trimmed to three of that guy. As much fun as it is to to just be able to attack for nine and just strike the fear into the heart of your enemies.
2: So, how how large? He he costs nine. He
0: costs nine.
2: He's a a a nine-nine.
0: And it takes nine to untap him. But yeah. he also has trample. But he also has trample, which is which is very real. And, <laughs> very uh, real. <laughs> yeah, it, it makes a big difference. You know, you're not chump blocking him with a Lana War elf. You're still taking a force in nature over top of it. So that's that's fantastic. Um, I am down to three of them. It, it it is still great. I cast it four times at the old school players ball. I untapped it three times. So Ooh, even in a, a meta game with with four strip mines. Like, if you do it right, you still get to do ridiculous things. So, which that I'll talk about a little bit when I get into the rest of the deck. But yeah. just so you, you know, a lot of times you want to be able to get lethal damage out when you cast the Eureka. When the Eureka's over, you want that one attack step to effectively end the game. Yeah. So, so you, And th- that's also, why
1: 12 creatures were, yeah.
0: where you end up, to be able to exactly. actually do that when you're Eureka. Paying four mana and putting two Sarah Angels into play is great, but, you know, the cost is letting your opponent play out some stuff and maybe answering you. I want to make sure that I'm harder to answer.
1: Yeah, so if the opponent, like, plays a book and uh, two lands and then, sorry, supplies one Sarah, you're probably going to lose that game. Right?
0: They, but... they definitely came out ahead in that mix, and that's what I wanted to try and minimize. You know, it doesn't necessarily... You know, there are definitely games that I lose because I cast Eureka, but I want it to happen less often than it than it could. So
2: you, you haven't uh, at least here in Sweden. I think disenchant is the best, like well-rounded uh, yeah. card. Uh, you you don't care really about that. Is that a right. reason why you went down to three classes? or yeah, Colossi. Is it Colossi with? <laughs>
0: uh, it's oh. it's probably it's probably Colossi. I like that. So. <laughs> So I, I that is that is part of it. I think disenchant's probably uh the most utility card in the format. Um the one thing that you really give up just refusing to play with white cards is that you, you lose out on, you know, the most efficient, effective answer to things. But I'm not the kind of person who wants to answer stuff. I wanna be answered. You know, you do the answering. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask the question. You're busting and
2: gonna... loud yeah. and clear. People have to raise their voice or you you're I'm gonna dictating the.
1: Yeah, I think you're part of the Shang school of magic. Can that uh, be the correct one?
0: (laughs) That is correct. Uh... You are gonna. I'm the reason you have to run disenchant. So (laughs) that's that's the way I want it. So with that, I'm up to nine monsters. So then I had room for some more, and I wanted like the fun cards. I wanted to run a Lord of the Pit, I was determined to make this happen one way or another. Um, I hunted one down, I finally got it in my hands, and I put it in the deck. And I didn't even care if it was good, or if it was castable, or anything. I was just, I love this card, and I'm going to play yeah. with it.
2: I think Grant li- likes the card as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't I thought,
3: know, I actually don't uh, own one either.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, and and I must correct myself, it's the Handleman school. Oh, oh the yeah. Hand- the, there's no wrong questions, only wrong answers. Oh, yeah. That is... Okay.
0: That is some wisdom right there. From
1: uh, the first or at least most influential book of uh, uh, magic tactics ever written by Rob Hans, The Schools of Magic. Hey. Yeah, and, uh,
2: I, so, sorry, if you, I'm, I'm just going a bit off here. But Grant, I heard that I listened to like a podcast and I heard that, you were, that your group was supposed to be called Urg Raiders or something. The we
3: stone, said, no,
1: that, no, 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 they were supposed to be called the stone throwing devils.
3: Yeah, devils. Yeah, there was They thrown man. around, and I think we just ended up on Lords of the Pit. Um,
2: how do you feel about that? You, you like now you can't go back down for uh, the pit, but you, I think stone throwing devils is such a good <laughs>
3: name. I, yeah, I didn't really care about the maybe the, I don't know. There was underlying racism, apparently, but there was none to be found online. Yeah, I exactly. mostly, I think my biggest grievance was that's just the factual name of the card. Um, and I was thinking, like, I would have rather, like, Lords of the Pit is uh, a, a nod to a card with a different name, you know? Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, I mean, so yeah. It's not just an actual card name club. It's a little bit different. Um, right, which right. I, which I prefer.
2: Yeah, like us. We're, we're the Wukwuks. But uh, Ben, for, for, for me that, ain't that into the American scene, do you guys have like the grants? Do you have like the Lords of the Pit or have yeah, you thought about... So-
0: so last year I... Sorry, now we're certain... going off
2: topic. We're going back uh... to Eureka. <laughs> no, that... I just wanted
4: to...
0: I'm going to segue real quick and then I'll jump back to Eureka. Yeah. Last year when I went to Eternal Weekend, they all show up with this Lords of the Pit gear. They look like an old school biker gang. And I was like, oh, I want to <laughs> fight those guys. Like, let's do this. This should be fun. Yeah. So I, I got I to gotta start my own gang. So, uh, I started the librarians of Lang. Yeah, uh, it's like the biker yeah. and the librarians.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Such a cool group, cool. librarians. But I
0: had, I had to pick it because like the, the nod to H.P. Lovecraft. Lang comes from Lovecraft's writing, and uh, uh, it's the creep, creepy dude on the card. And I was like, man, yeah. I don't even care what this card does. I'm just, this is going to be my card. So I keep one in my sideboard of every deck that I build. No. Um, just as like this is my stuff. So if you're ever copying one of my decks, and you see a library of Lang somewhere in the seventy-five. It's just there because that's my gang. If you <laughs> copy that in your deck, you're just you're just that's like wearing a gang sign for a gang that you're not part of. Like you don't have to do that. It's just there entirely for like sending a message. I Maybe love how so the, t-
2: the art of the uh, Library of Lang is like you're you're interrupting him in some kind of <laughs> manner. He's just sitting there trying to read his book. and it's like Just reading the
0: Necronomicon here. Can you guys just give me some time? <laughs> 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 totally Nictu. Gonna...
2: T- talking about books, I'm going to make a good segue here. Do you have uh, Nicole Bolas in your. Which no, is a good Nine? book.
0: Reader. So, of the next. The next monster to talk about is is Nicol Bolas. Um, this is the first Elder Dragon I ever saw. I uh, I traded a Royal Assassin for one back in like the early days. It was like I traded my most prized card to get this card when I saw it. So coming back around, I knew I wanted to have one of those in my seventy-five. So it's like, this is a guy I want to put into play with Eureka. Unfortunately. <laughs>
2: I read the best, like, uh, comment on uh, Gatherer for Nicor it says, <laughs> it says, that, that should be the flavor take, by the way, it says, it says <laughs> reading with Nicor this week, the wind in the willows.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's perfect, oh, it's absolutely perfect. And I love is-
2: uh, that he should have, like, a book club or something, because yeah. <laughs> says, yeah. reading to you. <laughs> he and like, a librarian. the come come, oh, yeah. come, come, child, sit on my
0: lap. You know he checked that book out from my library. Like, huh. he's, he's been a long-time card-carrying member of the Librarians <laughs> of Lang. You know, he, he checks out books all the time.
4: Uh, so, exactly. You, a-
0: you are the bad guys. The, the The biker crew, the Lords of the Pit. Those are the ones who's going to save us. <laughs> hey. You know, it's pretty it's pretty rough times and you got to depend on Lords of the Pit to save you from a greater evil. <laughs> but there's <should, laughs> there's always got to be some more shady guys out there. Yeah, Lord of the and, Pit uh, was actually think... my first rare <laughs> ever in Magic. Nice. From
4: my first oh, uh, so starter
0: deck. So it's um I love it. It's absolutely wonderful. And then yeah, the like... last monster, the last monster that I went with uh just further complicated the mana problems that in the same way that Nicol Bullis did is it committed me to red. So since I was already committed to red, and since one of the first cards I bought for old school was a beta Shivan dragon, Whoa. it's like, there is no way I'm not going to Eureka in a Shivan dragon. Like, this, this just has to happen at some point. So I wanted to be able to cast a Eureka and put a Force of Nature, a Lord of the Pit, a Shivan dragon, oh. a- <laughs> yeah, and a, a M- Markamati into play, and a Nicol all into play. Theoretically, Gordon loves Shiva. He, he named his pet after to it. To do that, right? You've lived the oh. dream of all of our childhoods, all in for four mana, for two green and, and two of any color. Oh. Oh, you can't
1: got, even speak anymore because it's just everything
0: so, that you mm. ever wanted to do all at once. But, so but
2: I I know for a fact that. As uh, Grant hasn't have, he don't he don't have a uh, Lord of the Pit. I think that you don't own a uh, and Dragon yet either. Me,
1: uh, I have an unlimited one and been searching. For, uh, okay, so you have a one. limited one. Yeah, but I need a black border one. As I have a living <laughs> pick... fucking dragon named Shivan Dragon in my home. <laughs> I need a black border one, but these are so expensive. So
0: expensive. Yeah, I've been looking to pick up a second one and they're a lot more than when I bought the first one. <laughs> yeah, I have a black
1: border, the Mahamute jin which I'm
0: yeah, I... my, my
1: plan for that is to be a down payment on the Shivan.
0: <laughs> I picked up one of those last year at Eternal Weekend, and I, I fronted. I paid. I bought the the other three throughout the course this year. I was just looking for a second one, and uh, three of them popped up at once, all for around the same price. And I said, you know what? I'm drunk. I will only <laughs> borrow right now. It's a great yeah. idea. That's so. my favorite.
2: <laughs> That's my favorite. Like. Uh, expression of magic when i spend money on something that i okay foils i agree with you it's like just something that's yeah it's it's not right it doesn't fit right but (laughs) like i bought i think i have like five or six (laughs) arabian nights mountains now (laughs) it's like
4: useless but
2: i love to (laughs) like i have them (laughs) and I, i i could have had like cards that I could play with like use in decks, but now I have them instead. <laughs>
4: yeah.
2: And I, yeah, I love I that keep... part of magic. Like, no, this is for me.
3: <laughs> I keep right. buying basic betas uh basic like lands, like beta lands, and I keep like spending money here and there and I'm like, man, I just yeah. need to save my money and buy something like that I need instead yeah. of these friggin' basic lands.
2: But but you can't uh... stop it, right?
3: Yeah, well, I need. I'm saving up for a pearl right now, so I'm hoping I can maybe, maybe get there. But even like power is starting to go up, and then CE is going yeah. out crazy. So but it's like, I, I have I'm two just,
2: signed sets of Guru lands as well.
1: Yeah, <laughs> <It's> but <that's, laughs> those are no not old school, so those no, th- no they yeah, don't but, count about it. But, but it's so, like, I just it's, I just spent sixty dollars to buy three. Cobalt overlords. So I have four of every cobalt. Uh,
2: this that, that is a uh, At
0: least, at least we. Hello, can
2: share... I'm a magic collector.
0: Right. At least My we can just share Carlos this. Hello, Sebastian. Yeah, but that's uh, the best thing is, is that we're all in this together, <laughs> because yeah. if you were doing this alone, it feels a lot worse. Uh,
2: yeah. <laughs> the magic do, don't have a, well, is it 12-step or 10-step program? <laughs> I think you yeah. need some steps here. I think so I as think, well.
0: Uh, as long as all the steps lead us back into the Argothian Woods, we're gonna be fine. Okay. <laughs> so, so okay, we back talk,
2: to Eureka. Yeah, we talked about so, uh, Yeah, so now sorry this the
0: dragon, now, Yeah, exactly, <laughs> like, listen. One card players, at a time. This is what I do, I talk a lot. Yeah, we too. So, <laughs> yeah you're not alone so, uh, about either after, yeah I like it it's a good company so after the 12 monsters there's st- there were still two flex slots for um for for the rest of the deck and both of these decisions are made entirely around the fact that I have three Alpha Force natures and they're in my deck and I'm not always going to be able to pay for them so I need to have a backup plan and the first backup plan is the easy one is Mirror Universe um it is very easy to win a lot of games off of the back of mirror universe. You, you know, you put in two force of natures, you go and a mirror universe, you go to your upkeep, you take 16, you trade life totals and you attack for 16. You just effectively did 32 damage with two eight eights. It's yeah. fun. Like it is great. Um, you know, it gets you through a remote. Like there's a, lot of, there's a lot of ways that it bails you out of some situations. Uh, you you know, there's there's some other cards in the deck. There's Sylvan Libraries, things like that, that it also helps with. You know, you're a combo deck, so you're sometimes going to take damage in the, the early game, and you need to be able to get back in it. Mirror Universe fixes a lot of the problems in the deck. Um, I have a second one in the sideboard because I couldn't find room for two in the main because I wanted do, to play. Do you
2: have Mana Burn as well?
0: Uh, we do play with Mana yeah. Burn. Um, So that is a thing. I'm not really a big fan of abusing mana burn to make Mirror Universe work better Like I know that's a thing. I've had it done to me.
2: That's what makes it really good
4: though
0: (laughs) Yeah, 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 absolutely. It doesn't come up too much in this deck Like I haven't had too many times where that even would have been a scenario But I'm usually drunk enough that I'm still distracted by my plan A which is to do big terrible things so like that's rarely my agenda but uh, that would be probably a good argument for running a second one. Um, instead of running the second one, though, I'm playing one copy of Sword of the Ages. <laughs> uh, this is another- what's,
2: what's that card? What what does it okay. take? Yeah.
0: I can um, tell you guys what it does. It's
4: a six-mana
1: do- artifact uh, that comes into play tapped. Uh, you tap it and sacrifice any number of creatures but when you sacrifice them, you exile them instead. Is like the, the text on the card, not the actual Oracle text though. But you exile the sword and any number of creatures, and do the, their power no, in damage wait, wait. to Stop your one opponent. You
2: exile the sword as well.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. So you exile the sword and the creatures, and then and so what do you,
1: the creatures' combined power in damage to your opponent's face. Well, so, if they have a moat and he only put some uh, Colossus of Sardius and Force of Natures into play, the sword will help
2: him. To and it's him. no excavation cost or anything. No, it, it, but it comes into tap. play tapped.
0: It comes into yeah, play yeah. tapped,
1: and you need to tap it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, it's great. You get to sacrifice all. It. So, you can attack with the dudes and then throw them at your opponent. Um, you can. You know, you can just, you've got a bunch of upkeep costs and you really didn't uh, save the mana for it, or you got strip mined or something terrible happened, uh, and now you've got to answer for things that you can't pay for. It's just a, it's an easy way out. Um, So it's a great insurance plan. It's a great way to get over things like moat. It's just an all out great utility card in this deck. It's probably more fun than good. I like it. But when it's good, it is amazing, and yeah. people—yeah, we, people we, we don't... can add something there. It was actually yeah.
1: restricted at uh, <laughs> yeah. one point in '94, so it's
0: probably yeah. a little bit good. And
4: uh, I, uh, I lost.
0: <laughs> I, right, I lost a game to this card in '94, and I'd never seen it before. And the next day, I traded a significant portion of my good cards for one. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, I like, I have to, yeah, I was like, I need to have this card. And um, I picked up a couple of them last year when I was building Mono Green and I wanted to have a way to, uh, you know, make like your army of small creatures more effective. So my goal was to sacrifice a lot of creatures to do a focused point of damage as a finisher. And then the realization that if the creatures are bigger, you don't need as many of them, you know, it's the sword continually useful. So it's been a card that I've gotten to enjoy a lot in old school um i don't see it a lot from other people but i've never been disappointed to use it there's a lot of worse things you can do for six mana um i'm not talking any trash about Crawl Worm, by the way i love crowworm thank you but, for that <laughs> <laughs> the sword of the ages is a fun card and it, it, it makes a well-rounded um closure to the thing realistically it probably should just be the fourth mahamati jen maybe move the sword to the sideboard but I play this deck because it's cool, not necessarily just to be good. So that's kind of where I'm I at. I think
2: but. when we talked with Chambers, he had the same uh, like experience. He met someone that played... Uh, I can't remember the card now. Gordon, you have to help me. Uh, I'm so bad at card yeah, I, but The I, The Exile 4, you tap it before. It's, uh, it's an Oblivion Ring artifact or yeah. what or artifact oblivion ring uh, Activated
1: uh, do you mean Tunnel's coffin yeah activate for free oh, yeah, it costs X- four X- to L2. play three to activate
2: so he had the same experience with like he met someone that played tono's coffin and uh, the opponent kept like doing stuff and he kept forgetting what it does and then it ended up with him playing like <laughs> three of the copies in every deck he makes, Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> whatever.
0: Yeah, yeah. But, yeah uh, oh,
1: that card's fun. Uh, it's an amazing card. But back to the deck, we only... Uh, 12 creatures is the number you came up with um, as a plus good number. Plus the two number. artifacts, yeah. uh, Plus the two artifacts, Mirror Universe and Sword of the Ages, which uh, if you didn't play them would probably be two other creatures, I guess. Right, right, You're yes. Right. So, 14 is the number that at least Ben came up with, uh, which could be good to know for those who want to brew this deck. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, we discussed having a bunch of ramp creatures, uh, Birds of Paradise, and you also
0: have Land of War Elves. Uh, you, because you have how
2: many yeah. ramp creatures so have you decided so,
0: I play six ramp creatures. I play four birds and two elves. Um, eight. The idea was to, you know, I started, I started with three and three, um, and, uh, I, I made some adjustments and as I added more and more colored cards to the deck, I moved to, uh, the fourth bird. Um, cause initially the idea was just to have more ways to pay for, uh, you know, force of nature and, and, you know, things along that way If they double as ways, things to feed to Lord of the Pit, um. One of my Lana War Elves is beta, and it is somehow every time I have to feed a creature to Lord of the Pit in the upkeep, the beta elf seems to be in play, so I always sacrifice him. Uh, he's been eaten by Lord of the Pit more times than I can count. It's fantastic. It's always funny to me. Most of the time my opponent doesn't understand what I find so amusing. Makes it even more fun. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Little sub game going on, but you know, the six mana creatures, you know, do so many things. Um, you know, birds help with the mana fixing, um, Llanowar elves help with the ramping, you know, and these are the things also that let you sometimes just hard cast the monsters much earlier than they would come out in any other deck. With a Uh, mox, you can
1: do a turn two Eureka.
0: Yeah. You can cast a turn two Eureka or sometimes you're casting like a turn three Shivan Dragon and uh, people are, Oh, wait a minute. That's not what I thought was going to happen here. So, you know, it's, it's, it's ways that, and also if your Eureka gets countered, um, because there are definitely those players out there that like to counter your spells, <laughs> you know. You want to be able to cast the things afterwards, and just the one thing I've always found is the best way to combat counter magic is to just keep casting more spells than they can counter. Yeah. And I wanted to build the deck in a way that would allow that to happen. So, you know, the the mana the mana creatures help enable that a lot. You would say those are um,
1: important. If we if one is going to be, uh, build an Eureka deck. Uh, they need ramp as I well, the mana, cage, you mana need those
0: I think you need those cards if you're on like a, a a flashier, more like combo type version of the deck. I think if you're probably playing more value, value Eureka, where you're playing like Ser Angels and, and more castable type threats, you know, maybe you don't need that as much. Like if you're trying to get to five mana anyway, the difference between four and five isn't as big. Um, and maybe your deck has more things like lightning bolts or something like that where you're just actually trying to, like, play real magic with people. Maybe you don't need them. <laughs> but if you're going to be trying to, like, make Eureka, like, the apocalypse, like I am, if you're, you know, you're trying to set the tone for the end of the game and send that real strong message, like, they really, really make that happen. How is Wheel of Fortune in this deck? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. You know, I I, I love... Um, the restricted cards that are in this deck are all just worth their weight in gold. Um, I run Mind Twist, and, you know, the black cards that I run are Mind Twist and Demonic Tutor. You know, Demonic Tutor is obviously, I think, probably the best card, you know, you could you could want in any kind of deck, especially a combo deck. Yeah. my um, yeah, combo Twist without is black just... is... Right. I should never do it. Right. <laughs> so... That's another reason, you know, to play Nickelbullis and and not play, you know, white in the deck or not just be like a three-color deck. Um, I, initially, red felt like the splash color, but the longer it's gone on, black kind of feels like the splash color.
3: Yeah, because, and you know, that's usually and, how it goes for most decks too. It's like,
0: know, yeah,
3: I'm Why not? running
0: the one black. You know, the two monsters that have black in their casting costs, and then the two black cards, mm-hmm. but they're so valuable and they do so much that. You know, you just don't want to live without them. And Mind Twist is one of my favorite things to do to people. <laughs> oh, uh, that's such a nice guy. Have um, we yeah. talked
2: about the Concordant Crossroads No, that, that's
1: when <laughs> my next yeah. thing. Uh, that's why I tried to like combine what we've talked about. Like 14 threats to Eureka Out, 4 Eurekas, 6 Mana Dorks, the Restricted List, uh, and then there's... Two cards in your deck uh, specifically. Uh, The first is Sylvan Library, we talked a little bit about. Uh, Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's always good to get the cards you need. But the last card, which is uh, like an important part to talk about for this deck, uh, because I've seen Eureka decks with it and without it. And. I don't know uh, what is the best. You're only playing
0: one main deck or at least you I did. Have, at, yeah, uh, I have I have one in the main and deck. And that is Concordia Crossroads. Yeah, and I have I have one in the main deck and I have one in the sideboard. Um it serves two purposes, you know, um really actually they're kind of a similar purpose. Like just being able to, you know, it's similar to like Sword or Mirror Universe. It's a card that helps you um you know get that reach get that kill before you have to pay for the things that you've done um you know so it it helps you you know effectively get away with your crimes Um, yeah and
2: you you probably you can plan ahead a bit maybe you can wait till you have five mana and like when your opponent is tapped out like he even though he knows you're playing eureka he he won't be able to interact if you have it
0: Okay. Well, the other nice thing about it is, it is a permanent. You can put it into play with Eureka, so it's great. Mm-hmm. If you're going to, if you're going to put it into play with Eureka, remembering that Eureka like passes back and forth, and the permanents come into play in that order, um, you probably want it to be the last card you put into play because it is an Enchant World. And yeah, if they're putting, I, uh, next... I actually yeah, get through it to the abyss, dance. which is nice. Yeah, yeah. The fact that it it destroys the abyss to also help protect your <laughs> fat guys, like, is nice so there it has like a lot of utility it happened um, uh, you know two weeks
1: ago i played to, against a friend with eureka and i played my field of dreams deck and field of dreams is also in the shant world yeah, and i had yeah. one in play he plays eureka and plays concordant crossroads like the third card and i'll say okay this will go away after the spell has resolved and he's just what yeah because this is what happens. But I have another one on hand and put mine to play after the concordant. Yeah. yeah. And it's... he was like, oh, so that's how it works. And yeah. He, he got sad.
0: It's a good interaction to know. He got um, sad. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely better to not find out about that in the game. Um, yeah. But do you, do you think so it's an
1: important card or is I it think
0: more of a. F- I th- Cool card. I think it's an I think it's a nice card. I think there are times where it wins you games that you would otherwise lose But I think there's a lot of times where it's a liability so it's a very uh, up-and-down card. It does not always uh, Yield kindly and that's why I only have the one um, There are a lot Turn of Turn
2: Concord concordant crossroads attack with the bird I'm playing <laughs> Right,
0: right like there's times where it helps you chain out a bunch of mana guys. Sure, But there's also times where, you know, you cast it and all of a sudden, like, your opponent's on uh, a white Weenie deck and they're going to kill you before you get your things out. So you really have to be kind of cautious with it. But shouldn't you never cast it and just only have it in hand until on Eureka? Exactly. And that's why I don't really want more than one. Um, Because I think... Because it's a dead
1: draw otherwise.
0: Yeah, and you really can't afford to have dead draws. You're really trying to do very... Um, unreasonable things, and and you don't want a lot of things that get in the way. Um, so I feel like a, as a one of it, it does enough work the times when you need it that it's definitely worth having. I don't think you have to have it. Um, if you didn't have it, you probably wouldn't miss it most of the time. But uh, you know, can
2: can we briefly just uh, walk us through the your sideboard?
1: Yeah. So. Yeah, I think we should talk about one thing first. Uh, talk one because, thing first. Because uh, the sideboard uh, is often being decided by what's a good matchup and bad matchup.
4: Mm-hmm. And that's sure. how
1: you build a sideboard. So let's um, take that, that, that as the next step. Now we know a little bit about the choices and how you build it and if concordant is important or not and things like that. So what what if you, if you need need to choose a couple of decks that are good matchups and a couple
0: that are bad matchups. So I don't think any deck is out now a bad matchup overall, but I think there are a lot of decks that have problematic cards and you unlike a lot of decks where you have to to shore up a whole matchup, in this deck you just have to be prepared for the cards that people are going to have against you that can stop you from doing what you want to do. So decks um,
1: with a lot of counter spells or, counterspells
0: counterspells are a decks, Counterspells and removal are one one range of problems, but I, um there's there's two other things that you know you have to be prepared for and you know one of them is you're not always going to cast a turn 3 eureka. Um, and sometimes a deck that's applying a lot of pressure that's casting a lot of small creatures and just doing a lot of damage is going to run you over or be able to crack through your attack, or you're not going to be able to attack with your monsters because they're going to kill you on the swing back, um, that sometimes uh, you have to be able to answer um, the things that exist. Because you, the last thing you want to do is cast Eureka and die to a, a couple of white knights. So um so H- Have you that,
2: ever played the mirror?
0: Um, I have. I I got to play the mirror, <laughs> um, at the old in the last round of the old school players ball, and I get, that uh, must
4: it was,
1: be stupid.
0: What went was all, well? Well, what was awesome is all of my creatures were better than his. Um, he was oh, on. Man. He Who was, was on a. uh is uh, it Evan Nyquist? Maybe. Uh, I was one of the. He's a, he's a cool guy. I think he might have been. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm putting in the show notes. Uh,
1: the the link to Eternal Central, where all the deck yeah. lists are published, so, so you guys could it, go uh, in there and see both Ben's list and the n- next guy, who the other guy yeah. who played Eureka.
0: Yeah, there. I think there were three of us total, but he was on. Oh. Uh, he was on a Palladium Morse build, so his deck was, um, his deck was, was more value Eureka, and not so much scary Eureka. And unfortunately for him, I started with uh, I started with Turn One Library of Alexandria both games, so oh. it wasn't wasn't fun magic um, for him. Uh, I had a blast. So, <laughs> but uh, you know, it, but Ben, um...
2: you're all about like the community spirit, right? And absolutely, and...
0: and that's why I made it a point to have a good time while I was doing terrible <laughs> things because you know I just wanted to keep the mood up. Plus, you know, like, I'm the librarian here, and this deck contains every old-school library in yeah, the 70s. That's <laughs> true. It's, Even Nicol Bolas Library. Yes, you get, you've got Nicol Bolas reading one of my books. Like, the other books, I let people check them out. I don't really need to keep those around, but I've got Sylvan Library. I've got Library of Alexandria. I've got the Library Lang and the Cyborg. Like, we are, we are all in on committed to... Yeah. To my, but, stuff. So when will you put in a James Day tomb and a Yalom tomb? See, I don't. I'm not trying to read books. And a I'm book trying to check out, I'm trying to loan out books to you. Oh, so okay. those are yeah. supposed to be. On we your deck, should. And then you're, you're Yeah, you're yeah. supposed to pay me for them like that. Okay. So, you already read a, them. Yeah, okay. I, I've already. I wrote them. Like that's yeah. what it's about.
1: Okay. I'll, I'll build so, a book deck to. Yes. So so I can play against you.
0: You can put them into play off of my eureka. It'll be fantastic. Perfect. <laughs> my my so favorite
2: book related art is still browse.
0: Oh, oh yeah. yeah.
1: Amazing oh, art. So
0: many. <laughs> so good. Yeah. Uh, or Orcish ah.
1: Librarian is yes. also it's another like... great one. Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, okay,
2: whatever. But <laughs> <laughs> Browse is just, like, sitting there, like, spinning through his pages, and, and, and you, you feel for the book because yeah. like, it's just, like, ripping pages out.
0: One yeah. of the only two uh, actual card-type librarians. Um, the other one's, like, a, a conspiracy card, too, so it's real neat stuff. Uh, I definitely appreciate my tribal brethren, but mm-hmm. now yeah. they're doing a Work for me. They're kind of competition more so than uh than friends.
1: Yeah, but um, (laughs) uh, you don't think there's any special bad matchups? Do you think you have any super good matchups?
0: Um, I think the zoo decks are are the best to play against because no matter what, you're always doing something bigger and meaner than what they're doing. Um
2: what 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 includes the decks? is it like the decks as
0: well or is it just the like curde decks? the, well, the, or- the blue red both of my losses at uh old school uh players ball were two blue red burn um both times very close matches but the deciding card in both matches was uh control magic uh-huh. uh yeah you know, so, but but you're know.
2: playing red elemental blaster. In I am. Okay, we're am. not going to sideboard yet. I know, Gordon. Yeah, but was well, the plan?
0: <laughs> yeah, I absolutely. So I'm up. I've added another one of those to the sideboard since that event ah. too, because I do think uh, that card is maybe more important than I was prepared to uh, acknowledge. So, but it because is. I,
2: uh, I, I was thinking that the counter spells that Gordon was uh, talking about earlier was yeah. the main problem for the deck.
0: But. Yeah. So. So, one of the things, like, if you look at my mana base, I am extremely soft to uh, Blood Moon. Um, if you can kill my mana creatures, and, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm actually down to one forest because I added a second Taiga. Um, there are times where Blood Moon can actually cut me off of play if it comes down early enough. So, uh, you know, I don't know why anyone would want to do that to me. But isn't, like, that, I don't uh, know isn't why...
1: that how you, like, build a fun old school deck? Like, yeah, absolutely. Th- 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 that's just... like
0: if you're, if if you're, you're playing not, safe, bec- if, if, right, you're, if not you're playing it safe, like you're not having fun. Exactly. So, if yeah. you're
1: afraid of Blood Moon, yeah, then you've built the real deck.
2: Yeah but... I I am thinking really that fun. why would anybody put in Blood Moon against like four Birds of Paradise and two Don't War Elves? I think okay, you that that's the
0: you would think I don't that. know if
2: we talked about the problem with fog I hate the car fog <laughs> I think you and I Gordon talked about yeah. it that people tend to think that fog is a fucking great card because you know I won that game like two years ago yeah. because he attacked right. with three forces of nature and I had the fog and yeah. like you don't remember it sitting in your hand just remember right. those specific moments when it's really good
0: Fog is one of those trap cards that that once it works for you, it's going to lead your whole magic path down a bad place. I think a
2: player that puts in Blood Moon okay, maybe don't they don't have any better interaction, so they probably should put it in you. But but, but you have like two at least six mono creatures and you have the basic dance and you have all the so okay, it's it's bad, but I think well, right, what I'm, what other- I'm hinting at is that you probably remember all the times you lost, I guess. Badly, right, right. But I don't right. think so it's a of, good card. against one the of the,
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't. It's just one of those things that can get you. So, the, and that's the thing about this deck a lot of times. You have to think about the things that you're going to let your opponent Eureka in. Or there's some decks that you don't necessarily want to cast Eureka against because you're worried about what they're going to put into play as well. Yeah. Um, one card in particular that I've had some problems with out of white is Preacher. Um, if you don't have like the mana creatures and things to throw their way, like they might be taking one of your good monsters. Uh, my brother likes to play with clones, so when I cast Eureka against him, I like to put Force of Nature's into play because you have to really make a real decision about whether or, <laughs> or not you want to turn <laughs> your. I love that. So, but like okay. that's where the the trick. Triskelia- uh, Gra-
2: Grant prototype. loves playing Preacher as well.
0: Yeah, so that's that's where like cards like the Triskellian and the sideboard come in, is like if you're you're playing guys that clog up the board or cause me problems, like is a very easy way to deal with a lot of those things off of something that I still want to put into play that still does something um, if you don't have those cards. So, yeah, I, how I, so... how does
2: it work when when you know or what? How do you like? What's the thought process if you think <laughs> your brother or anybody else has control magic or uh, clone? So I mean, with at, uh, with uh, uh,
0: At some point in time, like you always have to. Well, I, I bring in Triskalian for the weenie decks, like the the small, you know, you know, clog you up kind of things. Things like Preacher that'll steal your dude. You know, is just a good way to shoot and kill those things. It, it helps you in the matchups where they've already done a lot of damage to you. Um, you kind of can go, you know, you can kind of go through that way. And then, you know, there, I I run an earthquake for the same reason, just like a way to like deal with stuff that happens before your Eureka. Um, so you're, you know, you're not being put in a position where you can't, um, just because I think the deck is is clearly the best deck Um, it's probably the hardest one to beat if they have like a reasonable start and you're not doing very broken things Um, if you're just trying the one for one plan you know they're between the counter and the removal and then outdrawing you a lot of those things it's very easy for them to get ahead of you if you're not if you're on just an okay hand so you need to have some things for that matchup Um, you know and sometimes they're playing cards like moat um, if you're unfortunate enough to Eureka into a Force of Nature into Colossus of Sardia and they play a moat, you know, you've just got a bunch of ground guys that now you're paying for and you're you know, you're not really having answers. So um a lot of the problems that the deck actually faces are enchantments. Um and which is further complicated by the fact that I don't play with white cards, so I don't have answers to enchantments. So I do have the one of Tranquility in the sideboard for that reason. Um I don't know how good that is. I, I I bring it in primarily in the the blue-red match. If I think they're going to control magic me, it's just an easy way to just get my dudes back. Um, the red elemental blasts are much better for that. You know, they're card for card fantastic. Um, you know, so you just... you And one of the things you can't do in this deck is you can't over sideboard. Like, you don't have a lot of room to play around. And every single card that you take out of your main deck makes your deck worse. So... You know, unlike, you know, a lot of decks where you've got dead cards or you've got, you know, if you've got removal against a deck without creatures or if you've got, you know, disenchants against decks without you know artifacts, th- there might be room to flex those cards around. Like Eureka doesn't really have that. You can't really afford to be shaving your monsters. You know, you can't really afford to be, you know, if you, if you start shaving the restricted cards, you're cutting very good cards for very situational cards. So I think the big factor in this is not to oversideboard, sideboard and uh, not to overcommit to like being afraid of too many things because realistically, you know, there are going to be games that you'll just lose because your deck, you know, puts in things that, you know, you can't create a situation where you can finish it up. That's the trade off for playing combo. That's the, re- that's the consequence for all the games where you just cross your opponent and make them feel bad. So, you know the uh, the second Mirror Universe uh, lends itself in that direction. You know if your your opponent's playing a lot of uh, answers to your creatures, or you know ways to clog up, or you know any of that sort of thing, um, Mirror Universe can help shore that up a little bit. Um, the second Concordant Crossroads for if your concern is um, you know needing to kill now, um, you know just for against the faster decks sometimes. It's, it's pretty easy to maybe drop your recall and put in the second Concordant Crossroads just to be a little more aggressive um, the uh, you know you got a pair of energy fluxes and a Hercules recall because artifacts uh, stay- or evil. Stay- especially like Mishra's Workshop is an unrestricted card um, it is very reasonable for people to play a lot of big powerful artifacts um, and you know it's it's a way of of like fixing that. So yeah, but, it uh,
1: just let's uh, if we're talking in a, like broader sense, like what do you need sideboard cards against? I think that's the like last thing think... we need to know about this deck now. What do you, you can... really need a sideboard till against what against we decks?
2: Like what cards do you need? In no, the, I, what, the, more against you know, what threats? Only
0: the only decks that I'm mm-hmm. I'm really concerned about sideboarding cards in against. Are uh, you know being able to bring in the red blast against the control decks, um, just to be able to force my spells through yep. or destroy the destroy the control magics. So like the, like the twofold uh, victory there. Um, the uh, the ability to you know uh, lock out um, the weenie decks by just being able to power through them. So like that's where your your earthquake and your triskelions will come in and then everything else is just kind of you know little bit of stuff to kind of spice up a match here or there but none of it's real important yeah. like the main deck really does all of the work yeah um cool like you in really need to trust the main ba- deck to do the work if you're boarding in more than a few cards it's like you're probably overdoing it um you know you you really don't want to dilute yourself down uh, you're the one with a plan they're the one with the answers, make them have the wrong answers kind of thing. Like if you if you stop and you start trying to answer things, you're you're not you're not committing to being answered. So it's it's very important not to not to lose your role.
1: Nice. So so there we have it. Um what's the the important part of sideboarding and um Eureka uh, a really good work through of the deck I would say Ben. Yeah. A super walkthrough. Uh, and as I got my uh, three Eurekas, uh, I already had one today, actually. No, yesterday. It's Saturday. Today. Oh, yesterday, yeah, I got my play sets uh, finished. So I'm going to oh, listen to this episode myself to hear about your insights thought and thought process yeah, when did. building my own. I have a little bit of another idea, I think, but yeah, sure, that's I not have something
0: another for as well. Yeah, I always, love hearing about it too. Like that's the nice thing about it is like there's a lot of customizable parts, and it's really cool to see the things that people are doing. And it I really definitely is. want to see people have a lot of fun with it. It really is. So.
2: Uh, maybe but... we can have have you back, Ben, when uh, Gordon and or maybe I have tried this deck out. would uh, be fantastic.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm... I'm down any time, you guys hit me up. So oh, that would be amazing. Maybe uh, the, the the few summer months I tend to be a little too hard to book, but you know, once it's one for this time of year for probably the next nine months, I'm always down to do this sort of thing. So you guys let me think know. I'll about talk the prison, about anything. Then.
2: Uh, yeah. You need to avoid the prison.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. Do podcasts. It's better to as hang as, uh, out with us. Hopefully yeah i'll stay out of jail if you guys commit to having me back sometime so (laughs) (laughs) sounds like a plan but um so uh
1: thank you very much for joining us and um uh of course some of the listeners probably want would like to know where they can find you on the interwebs
0: um Uh, yeah so the easiest place to to find and contact me is probably twitter i'm more active on twitter than anything else uh my handle is librarian of lang so you know pretty easy there. pretty active i'm on it every day um feel free to add me contact me on facebook uh you'll find me on facebook as shaman ben uh big you know usually picture uh you know my beautiful face somewhere you know between (laughs) these things so i'm a pretty recognizable guy once you know what i look like um you (laughs) me through the blog you know uh i've uh committed to trying to get at least a few more updates now that life has slowed down a bit i've been kind of lax on it this year but i have i have been writing and i do have a bunch of stuff in the works. so there will be some nice. things coming down the pipeline
1: looking forward to that i'll put the link to the blog in the show notes for those listen
0: yeah, and those are probably the easiest ways but you know and if you're you know you're state side and you're you're at an event and i'm there you know I always tell people I'm a nicer guy than I look. Like, you know, feel free to approach. Me. I'm gonna love to talk to you. You know, probably commit to having some time because I'm probably gonna talk a lot.
1: You know, <laughs> That's good. <laughs> nice. And um, so. also, thanks uh, to my amazing co-host Grant and Seb. Do you have any last thoughts before I wrap this up?
2: I don't oh. know. <laughs> I, I have talked a lot as well. I think I've talked uh, more than I don't know. More than usual. That's even a good though beer. yeah, more than usual. Even though I tried to keep it down with the bear this time, but
3: <laughs> oh, that's all right. No, I didn't really say much this episode, but I was more just nice to just listen, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah I I'd and... love to have you here, Grant. I, you're you're like my comfort pillow, with, with, so I don't
4: <laughs> in the darkness. Yeah. yeah
1: so that was. <clears throat> the host's last thoughts <laughs> uh, me and my
2: comfort pillow yeah <laughs> uh
1: i'm also going to thank your listeners uh,
0: for do you have
2: problems and... with comfort pillows <sighs> gordon <laughs>
0: <laughs> not anymore he's got grant we got this
2: down you don't want
1: me to do sign off
2: <laughs> okay sign off yeah. uh, sign it
1: off sign it off i have uh need to thank your listeners uh, We've gotten some great feedback from you guys and it's always appreciated when you uh, comment on Reddit or email us or on Twitter or Facebook and everything. Uh, we we'll love hearing from you guys, especially if you have uh, topic ideas or ideas for guests, um, anything. Uh, and, and is, if it's we just love th- you guys.
2: And if you only good thoughts about us.
1: And if you have bad thoughts about us and bad critique please uh, send that, uh, send it our way as well. We just no, want to no. get better. Send it to, send it to me then. Send it to, not to, to Gordon. Uh, I don't want that. And if, and, and if you like our show, uh, please go into yeah, Patreon yeah, that. to Wack Wack MTG and uh, become a Patreon to support us. Um, that would be amazing as well if you like us. Otherwise, you find us as always on Wakwak.se on Twitter as WackWackMTG, Instagram on Wack Wack Mtg, and Facebook as WackWackMTG. Uh Grant, where can they find you?
3: Um I'm, uh, on Twitter at Pit Lord Grant. Uh, Instagram is Old Magic Musings and um, I'll be probably posting a decent amount of stuff during Eternal Weekend next week so it's going to be a little busy.
1: Yeah, we're really looking forward that, to that. Yeah, And um, Seb, where can they find you?
2: Uh, I I am currently can at continue MTG continue on? Subcilia on Instagram. And uh, uh, yeah, you probably should go and go check out Wack, Wack for all other thingies.
1: <laughs> uh, I can also say we have a blog on Wack Wack. Uh, Right now, not as uh, good written as uh, MTG Underground, but at least we will try to publish something every week that has something to do with old school. Uh, so stay tuned for more content there. Um, you can find me on Gordon Anderson on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter, uh, on, even on YouTube. I'm Gordon Anderson everywhere. And last but not least, if you want to email us, uh, you can email us at wakwakmtg at gmail.com. And that's about it. Thank you so, so much for listening. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the show and hope you enjoy next show as well. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> and-